Howdy, y'all. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. This is my show. This is my podcast. You made it. Does it sound different in here? I'm in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Went to the fly fishing film tour last night. So I'm having to spit this one out from the road. But before I left, I had Scott West over for the podcast. Yes, Scott West, finally, on South of Scruffy. Now, Scott West is a restaurateur. He's an author, a philanthropist, a visionary, and a leader of the renaissance of downtown Knoxville over the last 10 to 15 years, maybe longer. And we uh, we had a great chat, and we talk about the thing, the thing where Scott went to prison for money laundering and being involved in a marijuana conspiracy, a lot of which ended up with his buildings in Market Square being seized, most of his assets, if not all of his assets, being gone. But the interesting part about the story is what happens after that and the rebound and how Scott came back. And I'm so glad to hear it from him himself because you hear a lot of rumors over the years. You hear a lot of things. You're not sure what's right, what's just lore. But we got the story straight from Scott, and it was a fantastic night, one of the coolest things I've ever done. We got to talk about his new property, the Blackstock area and the Lunaverse that we all keep hearing about that he wants to build, and that's a fantastic deal as well. I'm super excited for you guys to hear this. Here's my chat with the man, Scott West. We're doing the podcast. Yep. So it's kind of wild to, to have this, the world that you live in is all these people that are mayors and uh, Eddie Manis was in my leadership in Knoxville, one of the Haslam's that was in leadership. The story on the leadership, oh, oh you want to get started? No, first, go so. ahead. Go ahead. So the, the, the uh, leadership Knoxville class back in 2006, it was a fascinating series of events because I was in it and I was, I was the same then as I am now. So I was, a lot of personality people. I'm, I get lots of interest, good or bad, from people. So so when I was in leadership in Knoxville, then at the end of it, like literally two weeks after I finished leadership in Knoxville, I got busted for this massive marijuana conspiracy, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm like facing 25 to life. So I'm really stressed out. And I get a phone call <laughs> from leadership. I can barely remember this because I can't, I can't remember anything from this time. It was a total haze. Because, you know, you're thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, the whole time, right? So I get this phone call, and it's, I won't say exactly who it was. A very prominent member of the community said, Scott, you know, they're they're going to remove your name from Leadership Knoxville if this is true. You know, what, yeah. this uh, marijuana conspiracy you're accused of. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Why would I care? I don't care. I'm going to face a 25 to life, and you're talking about taking my name off a piece of paper. But anyway, so they were like... Uh, and, implying they were going to remove wipe me out from history right right so i learned firsthand what being uh you know cancel cultured back then they call it that and that was when 2006 2006 but yeah but they said they were going to remove me from the annals of ever having and i'm like it doesn't matter i've already completed it i was almost elected president of the class and two weeks later i'm getting busted i'm like if you say i wasn't in it it doesn't change the fact that i was in it yeah you can't remove me, but unless you lobotomize me, in which case I can't remember, and then you can say I wasn't in it, but I was in it. So that was actually—I hate to say it—but that was—I wasn't really out and about, hanging out in bars and all that just yet. Uh, but that was how I found out about your names. I saw—I read it in the paper. Yeah, I read about what was going on, and it's crazy, man. I discovered later that it's one of those events where, you know, I know now that 
uh, I'm pretty well known, and good and bad. It's about fifty fifty. Some people, you know, people that don't know me hate me. People that know me love me. Yeah, I think that's what it is, really. But no, I knew I, would, not, I knew I would it's love very you. Very polarizing. I've always been very polarizing for whatever reason. I guess it's part of it's like when you know the first interview I did when I got out of prison. Abby Ham said, you know what people want to know is that you're sorry for what you did, and I said, but I'm not sorry. You're not. What I no, I'm not because I've done things that I feel bad about, but not the one I went to prison for. Really. Yeah, really. Really, I'm not sorry. How did because that Because I down? was right and the government was wrong, mm. which is a very dangerous thing. How, explain that to me. How are you right and the government was wrong? Because marijuana is going to be legalized by the government, meaning the government's apologizing to me for putting me in prison for marijuana since they're legalizing it now. Mm. That shows, does it not show, that shows yeah. that they're, they're sorry. Yeah. It's their way of saying they're sorry. Without using the words. Yeah, I mean, kind of like your brother. Your brother's not going to say he's sorry, but he'll buy you, you know, a beer in old days a soda. Yeah, and that's his way of saying he's sorry. Yeah. So they're going to say they're sorry by legalizing it. Oh, I love it. You think it's coming soon? I thought it was going to come a long time ago, actually. So I'm, yeah. I'm shocked at how long it's taken. Truthfully. Yeah. How did that all go down? I mean, did you get apprehended and all that, or did you turn yourself in? Like what? Well, what they out? tried to apprehend me, but I wasn't home. So I, yeah. So the way that went was, I was in Atlanta. Um, for Atlanta Mart, we had World Grotto, which had World Market. Yeah. So it was this concept that had a holistic health part, mm -hmm. and it had a, a part that was a, a, a retail component, and then the underground nightclub, which you know, I think it was the first show of Moon Taxi was there. All, mm -hmm. Bands like Green Sky, Bluegrass, all kinds of big bands played there. But, it was badass. But it was, it was a super cool underground club that had about 4,500 pounds of crystals, which, of course, the chip on my shoulder, that did come back, cycle back around recently. But... Okay, so back to the well, why I was in Atlanta. I was at this show to, looking for retail stuff. At the Mart. Yeah, the Mart. Yeah, yeah Atlanta Mart. And uh, I got a phone call, and the police said someone's broken. Someone has broken into Preservation Pub. You need to come over here right now um, because of this situation with the, the break-in. And I said, "What if I was in uh, Egypt or Nairobi? I couldn't come over there right now. I'm in Atlanta." And they said, "You need to come back right now." And I said, "I'm in Atlanta." Can someone else not meet you over there? And mm -hmm. they said, okay, that was just a ruse to get you to come back. We're going to arrest yeah. you. You're wanted for, uh, you know, a, a marijuana conspiracy. And, and so you need to come turn yourself in. Did you, did, and you already knew that it was coming? No. You didn't? Hell no. Till you got that call? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, I had the perfect crime in my mind. Mm -hmm. The only person that knew what I was doing at that time was my brother. Right. And uh, I, I, every time I met with him, he would give me lots of cash to use for developing these condemned historic buildings mm -hmm. and uh and then i would say to him no one else knows right because mm -hmm. you understand that what you're doing is illegal mm -hmm. even if you think marijuana is a sacred medicine which he does it's still illegal and there are people that will destroy your life and my life and our whole family's lives if they catch you doing this and he's like, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not telling anybody. But he was. He was, you know, just like all guys do. He was bragging about owning Market Square. And so one of our best friends from high school and college, he lived with us in college, and one of our best friends role, had, was wearing a wire for the DEA. So really? For six months, yeah. So, so they got all the info they needed. Six months of wires and taps on all the phones, and they heard um, everybody saying what they needed to. Yeah, in they, order to they, make was, they, they federal, you know, federal government when they're going after you, the amount of money they have, they have more patience, and by the time they pick you up, the nails are going in the coffin. Yeah, and, the, and, the conviction rate of the of the federal government for this kind of stuff, the, the, 
if you if a federal pro I didn't know this at the time I learned it later if a federal prosecutor is is coming down on you he has a ninety eight point three percent conviction rate mm, they don't mess around with so stuff this that they're idea not gonna that win. you see in TV and movies that you know the bad guy gets away all the time yeah bullshit really ninety eight point three percent conviction rate mm. so that means you're toast and the uh, federal prosecutor told me that he said here's the deal you're not the good guy I'm the good guy mm. you're toast. I've never had a better case against anybody than I have against you. Right. And I'm sitting at a table with DEA and IRS and my family and all these people around. There's a whole bunch of people at the table, including my defense attorneys and the two federal prosecutors. And so I'm thinking when this guy says to me, you're toast, that surely they'll, <laughs> my defense attorney will say, oh, no, don't you worry, Scott, we're going we're to win this. But nobody said anything. So really? I, I, that's when I knew I'm I'm in big trouble. Really? So so you you knew what was going on then? You you. You knew where the money was coming from. It wasn't just like a plausible deniability thing with no. your brother. You knew what was happening. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What What happened to your brother? He he. Well, we wound up. He was facing pretty much about the same amount, twenty five or thirty years to life. But was yours was yours worse because you because of the money part of it and mm -hmm. what you were doing with the money? Yep. So he he was yeah, just trafficking me, uh, marijuana. Let me explain how, okay. how money laundering works. Okay. Because people have this evil evil idea of money laundering. What? First, let me ask you, what is money laundering? What's it mean? Uh, getting money that's illegal and trying to introduce it to a system where it becomes legal money. Very good. Does that sound evil? No. It depends on what the thing that created the money was, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. So where did the money come from? So they create a law, money laundering, in order to get to the source of the illegal money. Right. So the the, the money itself, I mean, what's, for instance, in my case... The money's coming from marijuana profits. Mm -hmm. There's nobody getting robbed or raped or killed or maimed or assaulted. None of that. It's coming from you come over and say, hey, Scott, let me get some weed. Got the Super Bowl next Sunday. Right. Ooh, that was good weed. You come back next week. Can I get some more weed? Man, that was good weed last week. That's the kind of assault that's hard to call assault because you come every week because it's, man, that was great. Yeah. Right? So sure. th that's that's the crime, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially that's the crime. So then you're coming, people are coming over all the time repeating business repeating business for years you know so um this that crime is about a 10-year sentence the, it, the the laundering part or no, the the trafficking the drug the trafficking part? is about 10 years okay depending so that, on the amount i guess right well yeah if you've got a boatload you can get life i was yeah. in prison with guys that had life sentences with boatloads literally boatloads of weed so right so uh, it's, it's a different world nowadays than it used to be <clears throat> so anyway um the the marijuana was maybe a ten-year sentence mm. if you if you fight it, mm -hmm. then then they give you the maximum sentence, and, and the judge can't do anything about right. it. The prosecutor is God; they decide your sentence, and that's it. No defense, defense attorney doesn't matter. Prosecutor only. The judge doesn't matter. The only way the judge matters is if the prosecutor gives you a plea deal, mm. which opens the door. So then the judge can bring it down a little bit yeah. because you cooperated. Right. It's a game that they play. But essentially, if I fought it, it's 25 years, no parole. That's right. It. And, and there's no getting out of it. Right. That's, that's, that's just the way it is. So that money laundering is when it comes in and they say, if you had gone to Las Vegas and blown it on hookers and blow, right. there would be 10 years. Hmm. Just the drug charge. If you had put it in a Swiss bank account or in, and uh, Panama or you know uh, done something like that or put it somewhere else that that wasn't used for anything, right? Just mm -hmm. stored, you only you only have the 10-year conviction. Mm. But because I took condemned buildings, condemned historic buildings in a boarded up downtown and revitalized those buildings and turned them into what are now literally 20 times the value. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Yeah, what I, I paid it. for the building 
is now 20 times as expensive as when I bought them mm. and then lost them. Right. So the buildings that, that I bought and then lost are 20 times the cost of when we bought them to begin with because they're all boarded up. The, the, the rooftops were like funnels caved in with water that would gush in like a waterfall when it rained. Mm. So these are condemned, right. condemnable buildings that we acquired. And the city doesn't condemn them because you don't want to tear down historic buildings. So, they, you know, it's, it's a weird just, thing. You just let them get worse. But because <laughs> I fixed the historic buildings, I, it wasn't me, but, you know, I'm Bernadette and myself, you know, and, and then my brother, you know, basically we saved all these historic buildings and, and in my mind drove a we were a major component of driving the renaissance of downtown knoxville and it started with we couldn't get any banks to loan us money downtown nobody would loan us money why would you it was it, it was it was because banks would right literally there. say no way are we loaning downtown knoxville right they would say that yeah so we had to so i went to my mother-in-law bernadette's mother and she borrowed money against her she had property in Kingsport. So she borrowed money against real property mm-hmm. and ba- and basically gave it to Bernadette and I to put in a bank account where then we were able to go to another bank outside of downtown and borrow the same amount of money again. So if you have a right. if you have collateral. Po- if you have one point three five million in cash, a bank will loan you one point three five million, turns right. out. Yeah. It's secured. Yeah. yeah. So we did that and then it wasn't enough. So my brother, um, I I thought it would be a lot less, but I didn't know anything about development then or, or re- rehabbing old buildings. And it was a lot more than I thought it would be. So I wound up, it turned into $2.1 million in cash from him. So it, you have about $8 million in assets, and about $2.1 million of that was money laundering from business. Mm. The business being marijuana. Right. No, Nothing was stolen. Right. This was money generated. And then in my mind, here's where the way I see it. If I take this money, two point one million, and I put it into a building worth two point one million, and now the building's worth twenty million, and now they pay, now they generate property taxes from the twenty million, and there's hundreds of people getting hired to work in the building, I see that as trying to pay taxes, sure, not trying to avoid taxes, right? But the law basically is treating it as if your whole goal was to avoid paying taxes so the way the system works is you're supposed to you're supposed to say i'm i'm selling marijuana i would like to pay taxes and then they arrest you and put you in prison for selling marijuana yeah. it's something like that it's right. some nonsensical thing right. so i basically had come up with a way to pay taxes mm. but it doesn't change the fact i'm not arguing whether what we did was illegal it was mm-hmm. i'm saying that what we did was good yeah net good ethics morals fine with it illegal yes it's kind of like, you know, you can name a whole lot of crimes in history, which I've been accused of comparing myself to famous figures when I say when I say specific names, so I won't, because <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to Jesus, who was a Christian in, in a, a place that wasn't Christian, or, or, or Mandela, who spent 25 years in prison yeah. for trying to free a country, or yeah. an escaped slave. Or, you can name all kinds of people sure. throughout history that martyrs. were killed, or, yeah, martyrs that were yeah. killed for things that were, nowadays we're like, that's not a crime. Yeah. In fact, I would argue probably 95% of people that were criminals throughout history are not criminals by today's definition. I, th- I bet they you're were right. criminals based upon the definition of that time, which may have been, we would like to take your natural resources. Therefore, you're a, a heathen. Yep. You're a savage. Sure. Whatever. If you're not a Christian, then you don't actually own America. We can take America from you because you're a heathen. Therefore, you have no rights. Yeah, that's illegal now. Yeah. If you're an escaped slave, you had stolen the property of your master, which was you. Mm-hmm. You're the property, so you're stealing from a from a from a gentleman, and therefore you must be punished. So the crimes throughout history to sit and think, 
anyone who sits and thinks, well, you're evil because you broke the law, I'm not saying that it's not good that people do that. I mean, you need right. you need most people to do that. I feel you. But then there are those of us who question everything all the time. And that can get in. We have to understand that this can get us squashed like a bug. Mm-hmm. If you're in the wrong country, if you're under Stalin or a Putin or something, and you do something that could put you sideways with the government, they can they could squash you from existence. You disappear from the world and you're gone. Mm. You, we're fortunate to live in a country that's free enough that you only went to prison for the marijuana conspiracy. Yeah, they didn't they didn't execute you or, or you know, don't literally lobotomize you. They didn't do that to you. So your so, conscience uh, is a pretty okay. On that, I mean, yeah. I, we've all done things in our lives we re- resent, regret, and and things we wish we hadn't done, or you know, been cruel to people we shouldn't have when we were young to be cruel to somebody. Sure. Else. We've yeah, all yeah. done that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. treated somebody we we um, wrong that we care about, and you know, we've all done it. So yeah, I've got things I regret, but not but, a marijuana conspiracy. That's not one of them. Right. And then that was how long did it take to to for all the court stuff to clear? A year, two years? They well, happened they, pretty they quick. They wanted our the difference in myself and the rest of the conspiracy. Was the rest of the conspiracy? Yeah, there's like your, your brother and more dozens people? of people. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Anybody who was selling or or anybody that touched that money or touched that. Yeah, weed the reason I got the same part of the my brother is because here's they the way, charge you all together. Conspiracy works in a. They created the conspiracy law originally to go after the 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 the, big, the five families. They created it to go after the mafia. Yeah, it was and that was it was Giuliani <laughs> that used that conspiracy law to take down the mob it was yeah. Giuliani but he mm-hmm. he wasn't the one that created the idea it was another fellow that came up with the idea but the idea is any crime that's done by anyone in the conspiracy everyone is guilty of mm. this allows you to get the godfather and not just the henchman right. right yeah of course what happens is you start off to try to take out these large uh, criminal enterprises um, which are doing mass murder and you know terrible things and then it winds up being taken down friends from high school who who had very little to do with it yeah what I'm, what I'm saying is two guys from high school that are selling weed is a conspiracy right just like this five sure. families are a conspiracy so yeah so they're able to i get all the charges of people i don't know i get their charges doing things i've never seen i right. get the charges right, right that's the nature of conspiracy that's gotcha. how they that's how they make sure you plead guilty gotcha yeah i mean it's, a, so it's, it's a good for them essentially it's a conspiracy even though my role at that time, I mean, I'd done this stuff with my brother, but it, I, I had retired, you know, years from ago. selling weed. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and we we did lots of smuggling adventures and stuff, but but I'd retired for that for years. And so essentially, I was well past having done that, and then I was in the normal world and doing normal things. And then uh, once we got started on Market Square, then I needed money. Then I basically I pulled my brother into that, and then it wound up costing more. So he he claims he was going to retire, which. <laughs> So he basically is blaming me and I'm blaming him for, but you know, it's his fault. But yeah. so, so essentially that uh, he got, he stayed in it trying to generate this money for this things we were doing, but the conspiracy was weed, you know? Yeah. How long were you in prison? Four years? Four and a half years. Four and a half years. Did- yeah. It was a 25 year sentence that we, when you do the plea deal, what they wanted. Oh yeah. I was only in jail for six months, which was by far the worst part of my sentencing. Well, the worst part is when you, when they tell you they're going to bury you and you, God. And your insides turn to water. I'm not yeah. kidding. Imagine somebody says to you, I'm going to, if I pulled out a knife right now and told you, I'm going to kill you right now in here, mm-hmm. you'd be very frightened. Sure. It's like that. So, yeah. so that's kind of what it feels like when they tell you they're going to bury you alive in prison. Mm. Cause you've never, you haven't done time. I've done it now. I could, I could do life in prison now, but really? I don't want to. Right. You know, it's not something I want to do because it's time. It's what it is. <laughs> I like, you know, having a 
a family and a, a wife and a life and these, these enjoying a beer and stuff like that. Yeah. But I could do it. You know, I know how it works. Yeah. I know it's you do the time or the time does you. I know this, you know, so you make it work for you. But um, the the prosecutors, what they wanted to, in my case, we had the buildings. So we got $8 million in real estate. The prosecutors want it. So they push us through the system very quickly so they can auction off the property. Whereas the rest of the conspiracy sat in jail for years. Really? Yeah. So you were in jail for six months waiting and on every- I, And then I went to prison after I right. did the plea deal. But, and the, I got my- but the six months in jail is when everything was getting worked out. But I mean, I guess lucky for you that you had the real estate because they yeah. pushed you through the system right. quickly because you we said that the was valuables. the worst part. Because we had the valuable stuff and they needed a clear, clear title, then they needed us to plead guilty as quickly as possible. Plus we weren't all tied up. They knew that they knew I didn't know a lot of these folks and stuff. So, so therefore, they could push us through more quickly. Whereas the others, you got to do what they call it, diesel therapy. You move them from jail to jail, and there's no sunlight. And mm. you know, sitting in Blount County Jail, I'll give you an example. You, there's no sunlight. There's only fluorescent light, right? Mm. You don't go out in the sun. You, because you're a federal prisoner, the um, the the feds require the jail to give you fruit. Well, that fruit is applesauce once a day. So, the, so you wake up in the morning. Every morning. You get fed oatmeal every single day. And then at lunch, every lunch, it was one of two things. You either got really loose bologna, like grade E bologna, mm-hmm. that was like potted meat. It yeah. was kind of was really loose. Or you got peanut butter on white bread. Mm-hmm. And then for and then and then for dinner, you got beans and applesauce. So every day, that's your that's your that's your meals. And then once every few months <laughs> they would wake you up at Two in the morning, or it was super late at night, and say anybody want to do outdoor rec, and so I got well, I want to go out do outdoor rec and so, yeah. play some so basketball. You go outside and and it's like a twenty by twenty foot cement room with twenty foot walls with about five layers of fencing on top of it, so you couldn't see stars even. It was the middle of the night, cold as hell. You know, in the middle of winter, it's cold as hell, so you you can't see anything outside. All you get is cold air. That's it. <laughs> You're in this metal, this this metal and cement, you know, block room. And that was the treat. That is considered because they have to they have to give you outdoor recreation. That's mm. it. They have to give you fruit, so it's applesauce. So that that place was, and they would train their dogs on, you know, raider cells all the time, and the dogs are barking in the middle of the night, throwing you in the floor and handcuffing you. All this, all this crazy shit. That it's all it's, about breaking you before your trial, right? No, I think they're no. just practicing, man. Really? I seriously think that it was just a nutty. It, I, I looking back on it, you know, it gives you a good story, so it works. But then you know, we get to prison, you're like that's just doing time. Then really, yeah. yeah is, is, and I is, wasn't in a high security prison because if you do less than ten years and you didn't do anything violent, like kill somebody or whatever, if you didn't do a sex crime or violent crime, then in you're under ten years, they know you're not going to try to escape. Mm-hmm. So they put you in a, a prison camp where you work. You can go out on the Air Force base or whatever, and you work. And so then, it was low security prison. Low security. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. The, the 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 jail was high security. Yeah. So that's where you get out one hour a day, you know, or, you know, you have like a, at certain times of the day you can come out of your cell and if you don't come out then the door shuts and you have to stay in there. Mm. So it was more like, more, more like a high security in jail. You have guys in jail though that I was, I'd sat there for six months. And so every Thursday was federal, federal, um, you know, the, the federal court. So I'd see people leave 19 year old goes gangbanger guy goes to court and he comes back and he's got 40 years, mm. 19 years old. I'm thinking, and then you got guys coming in there that literally are there overnight. And I'm thinking, 
crying, you know. So you got some guy crying in the corner because he's doing one night in jail. And this other guy's 19-year-old gangbanger got, just got 40 years. That's a, that is a recipe for some violence. Sure. Because that pisses a guy off. I'm sure. If you got 40 years and some guy's boohooing about a night, you want to yeah. work. You want to kick his ass. I'm sure. Least. So, so that that kind of situation. They made it where the phones are right next to us. So, yeah, this thing. There's all this. You know, you know. You you got to be real careful because everybody wants to use the phone, right? Mm-hmm. And you only it's 15 minutes. And they call it clicking, where if you click and then you call the person back again, which all these guys do because it's a girlfriend or whatever. And everybody's freaking out about the girlfriend or their wife. Which, by the way, ninety percent of people's girlfriends or wife are not going to be there when they get out. Yeah, absolutely. So they got a reason to freak out. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, was, so it was it was pretty wild, but it was it was a memorable experience. Well, where where was the four years? Uh, well, the, th- the yeah, the six months. It was actually wasn't. It was more like three and a half years in the. Uh, it was Montgomery down in Montgomery. There's Air Force oh, so, Base. So you so you went to Alabama. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. And then okay. we, you know, you work on the Air Force Base, and you know, Alabama heat in the summertime kind of stuff, though. But uh, I, I was a, I was a janitor in prison. I, I made twelve cents an hour, and I got prisoner. I was janitor of the month twice. Hell yes! So I did a good job. You're a hard worker. I mean, I, I couldn't see, I, I can see you doing <laughs> well there. Janitor of the month twice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, did... I need to put that on my wall. If I could find those, because they gave me a little piece of paper. Did they? I will put that on the wall somewhere bigger than my di- diploma. I'll tell you that. There's a pretty badass picture of you in the yard at uh, at, at yeah. Preservation <laughs> Pub. Where you're that just was fun. Getting, yeah. yeah. I, what I did is I got the biggest tough. My I don't always. I had a bunch of guys that were kind of wimpy looking dudes that were friends. And I'm like, you guys can't be in the picture with me. So I got the guys in the way, Paul, that were all the guys that were real jacked. I'm like, hey, I need you guys to get in the picture with me. And they're like, all right. And they weren't my friends until I did the picture. And mm. then they were all my friends. Really? <laughs> I bet you made a ton of friends. I couldn't see I couldn't see anybody hating you. But, I mean, I'm sure there were some scary times. Well, what happens, you discover in, in life is there's one of the things that you get respect for is, you know, the, the, the scale of the crime. So mm. I was on the, you know. They they were in, in in jail. They're wearing these little headsets. Everybody look, everybody looks like uh, aliens or whatever they have, or like the prison because, guards or who? No, the the inmates because they all have this little radio, but they you can't hear because of the brick walls. So they so they make these antennas out of like Lay's potato chip bags. So yeah, there's like three foot antennas off of your head to listen to the radio. Yeah, and so they all heard me. All heard the, the the case was the case of the year. You know, so it was the news story of the year that year in 2006. So every day they were talking about my case, and so. I'm, They'd say, Square, you yeah, Square, you on the radio? Square, you on the radio? So I'd put on my headset and I'd listen. And, you know, it was, every, it was like all the stories about her case. S- Square, that was your name? Yeah, everybody gets a nickname. So I was called Square because of Market Square. I love it. <laughs> but all, all the old names, like like one one cellmate was name was Nightmare. I, I don't want to know that guy, do I? No, you don't. Because yeah. um, he, he's like, he was actually a cellmate of my brother. And he, my brother was like saying, if we'd been on Friends on the Outside, you know, we could have done business together. This is after they've been together for a little bit. And, and Nightmare, Nightmare said this to your brother. Or your no, brother no, my said brother it said it to okay. Nightmare because okay. he liked him. He's yeah, like, yeah. this guy could be, he could talk like a gangbanger. He could talk like a, you know, college yeah. professor. He could, yeah. he could be whatever role he wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Nightmare said, no, you wouldn't want to be my prison on the outside. I'd have killed you and took your stash. <laughs> so that kind of stuff. But they, they, you know, everybody's pretty normal. Everybody's equal on the inside. So it's yeah. worked out. Didn't you write a book after? I wrote a bunch of books. I've got. I'm getting ready to publish the. I didn't do it when I first got out because my parents and my family said don't publish the smuggling stories. It was too soon. Really? Yeah, but but so, you're you're free and clear at this point. You've done your time. Yeah, but it's you not going to come now, back. But now weed is okay. 
Mm. So even when I first got out, it still wasn't okay yet. Right. So, you know, back when we did it, it wasn't okay anywhere in America. Right. So so now I'm in a point where, uh, like this week, I've had multiple people calling me about doing a documentary. Really? I've had people asking about TV series, uh, documentary, movie, all kinds of shit like that. So so basically I'm at this point now where I'm going to go ahead and publish the the, uh, the books. Um, the first one is done. I just need to publish it, you know. But it's, it's basically starts with the um, how it started and uh, where we came from, and it's fictionalized, you know, so mm. I can have fun with it. And, yeah. and then people can guess what parts are true or real, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, and which are not. And they're always wrong, by the way. They think the parts that aren't real are real, and the parts that are real aren't. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting. So they they took all your properties. So you yeah, owned, all the properties. So what did you own? You had preservation pub. You well, here's the way that, that worked. I when I was. First got busted. I got. I made bail. Get out. So I did an interview with the news sentinel. Then my attorney's mm. like, Don "Please Bob. don't do that." He's like, "No." He's like, "What have you done? What have you done?" So Don Bosch is like, "You've you you pissed off the federal prosecutors." <laughs> so anyway, so so then he calls me early Sunday morning. Now I'm on the cover of the newspaper on Sunday. And this so, is after you got arrested, but before you went to trial. Yeah. Okay. I, I got out for a little bit before I had to go back in. You know, okay. Made bail and then. Yeah. 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 And so then once you agree to do the plea deal, you're back in jail again. So yeah. I get out for a few weeks. So so anyway, I, I get out, I do an interview with the new Sentinel. And then, <laughs> so then Don calls me and he says, the prosecutor called me this morning and he said, he's going, he said, you tell that motherfucker, I'm going to bury him. Oh now gosh. when a federal prosecutor says this, this is not like your friend at a basketball court. Right. This guy means it. Yeah, he does. He's serious about it. So, I, so it freaked me out. Needless to say, so I'm like, well, I got to talk to him. And so Don's like, do not, Make it any worse. Don't talk to him anymore. So of course, as soon as I see the, the prosecutor, I, uh, I went over to him and I said, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry I upset you. And let me explain myself so you so you won't be so mad at me." You know, and he's like, "Okay." And I said, "You guys are planning on seizing the buildings on Market Square, right?" And he said, "Yeah, we're taking everything." And I said, "Okay. Well, the building's value is determined by the rent they generate." from the tenant mm -hmm. the tenant is the businesses that we created because no one would rent from down no one would rent on market square mm -hmm. we couldn't find any ten tenants so we created the businesses to be our own tenants right that's why the businesses are locally owned and operated right because nobody else was interested in market square sure so we created each business the businesses become the tenant i get busted and then i'm worried that everything's going to go under and i got my whole family i'm worried about now so i did the interview to let everybody know that everything's okay the business is going to keep going no big mm. deal. That's what I was doing. So I told the prosecutor, look, my family's going to keep, you know, they're still here. The businesses have nothing to do with the money laundering. All the money laundering went into the condemned buildings. All the businesses make money. There's mm. no reason to launder into the build businesses because they make money. Mm. Right? I'm not trying to prop up any business. So I basically told him that the buildings are not, are not going to have any value when you sell them at auction if they don't have the tenants. Mm. And he's like, kind of shook his head. Yeah, okay, it makes sense. You're kind of doing him a favor, right? So so my plea deal literally said that my family had to keep the businesses open as part of my plea deal. That is crazy. I wondered why everything kind of kept going. That was my that was the plea deal. Okay, so the money, the laundered money was was in the buildings. It was going just into the buildings. Yeah. It wasn't going to to pay the payroll we didn't at the pub. Businesses to lose money. Right. You know, I've never created a business to lose money. Sure. The businesses obviously are still there. Yeah. Oodles is now, you know, we changed the name recently. It's now going to be Alice in Appalachia oh, cool. uh, cocktail shopping in Yonderland, but that's been there 20 years. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we've we've had Earth to Old City for 30 years. Obviously, it makes money. Mm-hmm. Preservation Pub is, I think, probably the most popular bar in town. For sure. So it's it's Without cranking question. along. So those are the businesses. They're, yeah. They obviously weren't being propped up by drug money because they're still there. Right? Did, did you have to prove that there was no laundered yeah. money that went into the businesses, well, they, the they, existing businesses? When they first businesses? arrested me, they said, we know you've laundered money into these businesses, right? That's and what I, I thought. That's what I thought was going on. And I said, if I laundered money into the businesses, then why would I have POS systems? The POS mm. system shows every three dollar purchase, every yeah. every sale, sure. and it's seventy percent right plus credit cards. Yeah, but paying a contractor. If I did three thousand dollars of cash into the business every day to launder money, you would see it in the right. POS system. Right. So because I'm actually you're giving me your credit card, I'm ringing up a three dollar beer. There's a three dollar receipt. Right. All the money that went into Preservation Pub had receipts from yeah. actual customers. Right. So they they knew when I said, why would I? Why would I launder money to a business that makes money? And why would I have a POS system if I were going to launder money? I would have a cigar box. Right. You know, I would have a I would have a cash register that hit no sale every time. You know? Yeah, we'd I, be cash only. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah. If I were going to launder, that was one of the things that bothered me when I watched uh, what is it the uh, the, the the TV show uh, uh, Ozark. The Ozark. So the yeah. first show I watched one I couldn't watch anymore because he's like, okay, first off he takes eight million or something out of his bank account because he's this cartel guys making him launder money for yeah him. yeah well if you take eight million dollars of money you made as a stockbroker or whatever he was a a, a forensic account and i forget what yeah. it is if you take if you have eight million dollars that you earned legally yeah. and it's in your bank account yeah if you, take you don't need money, to launder it it's not la- it's not laundered <laughs> yeah. it's legal that means you can leave it in the bank and do whatever you want right. you can take eight million if you have eight million cash in the bank you can take eight million cash out and go do whatever you want and pay cash. Right. It's legal. It's yeah. your money. So they implied like somehow that was illegal. And then he goes to this town in the Ozarks and he's gonna launder the money, right? Which is legal money first. And then he goes to a strip club. He buys a strip club. He like hardballs the guy to buy the strip club. <laughs> then he has like the first week and he's like, We did seventy thousand dollars in business. So he takes the seventy grand and he runs off in the woods and hides it in the shack in the in the boat again. And I'm like, if you're laundering money, you take another hundred thousand and put it with the 70,000 and say, we did, oh my God, we did 170,000 this weekend. And you deposit it. That's laundering. They should have had you consult on this show, uh-huh. man. I hope you get to consult on the documentary. But my point is, uh, there's, uh, we didn't launder in, in the businesses. We laundered. I didn't have to. Right. I mean, remember when I told you, I had to ask my brother for more and more and more money for the buildings. Right. I had six buildings. I'm telling you, rehabbing historic buildings is extremely expensive i'm sure it costs more than doing a new building yeah so is there are there h1 uh h1 uh, historic kind of uh yeah, guidelines that you have to I, hit up yeah yeah yeah, yeah all kinds of stuff you know we, everything we do on market square there's a historic zoning commission and the yeah. facades have to be historic and, and yeah there's a, it's a lot more to it and, and there's just a whole lot of cost in general with an old building because you go and you go oh it's already got a sprinkler system then you spend more on fixing the old sprinkler system yeah. than if you bought a new one right so yeah so so you lost all your you lost all the buildings but you kept the business no I, I couldn't own the businesses either so you couldn't so essentially i had to sell the business my dad owned oodles okay mm. he's always owned oodles um my mom and sister then owned earth to old city okay Bernadette and i were partners so they owned that we never got any of that back and and then uh and then preservation Pub corporation my sister got and then she uh, owned it for 10 years mm. and then i uh, after 10 years, once Bernadette and I were out again, I bought it back from her. So Bernadette went to prison too? Yeah. For the same amount of time? Two years. Okay. How'd she get less time than you if she was because part of she a conspiracy? Only laundered. She only laundered. She only laundered. But money. I thought if you were part of the conspiracy, you got grouped in with everybody. She wasn't part of the conspiracy. Ah. Bernadette, here's, here's the way that went. I'm sitting in the same room when I talked about earlier when they said, Scott, you're toast. Yeah. They said, you're going down. 
best case we've ever had. So then they look at Bernadette and they say to Bernadette, just to give you an idea how this works, and the federal prosecutor says to Bernadette in front of our attorneys, in front of our family, the federal prosecutor says, okay, Bernadette, you can probably beat us in court. But if you fight us, Scott's getting 25 years, no parole, no plea deal. And we're going to indict your mother with a superseding indictment. And how do you feel about your 65-year-old mom sleeping on a jail in a jail bed and Scott we're going to indict Scott's parents too and we're going to put them in jail as well and then they can fight this as well so you can you, and she said well I guess I'll be pleading guilty then wanna and that was that you want to talk about crime that's crime the fact that they can leverage that kind of that's shit that's how they do it yeah that's how I do it every time and they tried to bring Bernadette's mom into it because they of the original money mom into because it. of the original well, her, her no, collateral her, that she provided for they you guys? took that they took that <sighs> that was part of the deal too they took that money so. oh my god yep. okay so so uh, this is all coming back to me. So because- basically, you have 2.1 million illegal money right. made from marijuana. Right. Want to be clear here? Yeah. Didn't rob a bank. Didn't steal from granny. Didn't assault people and take their money. Didn't didn't break in a people house. People willingly bought marijuana. People bought stuff that was legal. Yeah, I mean, not illegal, illegal but it yeah. was they bought things ethically in my mind, right? Yeah. So then we take that profit, and it's two million dollars on Market Square. But with that's like six million dollars in legitimate money, mm. or millions of dollars in legitimate right. money. So they they take eight million dollars. It's the, I call it the 400% tax, you know? Yeah. So, or actually it's an 800% tax. So what would you be taxed if you made profit, mm-hmm. um, $2 million, the tax you would pay on that would be 400,000. Yeah. Right. So let's say it's 400,000 would be a yeah. normal tax. Yeah. So now let's say you make $2 million and they tax you 8 million. <laughs> that's what we, that's yeah. what happened to us. Yeah. And we went to prison. They taxed us 8 million on making 2 million mm. and put us in prison. That doesn't seem right. But I'm okay with it because I got a good story out of it, didn't I? Hell yeah, and you did. we did something I've never seen done, which is we went down for a crime, either went away to prison, we were humiliated and, and ostracized by the status quo of Knoxville. Um, people walked to the other side of the street when they saw me, and then we got out, went back to the same place, did the same thing, and we went beyond where we were the first time. Did the same thing um, as in uh, built the businesses yeah, back up. Yeah, yeah, and and sold uh, alcohol, which is is a mind altering substance. Yeah, was but it's it? legal. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so how does that all work? I thought that if you were a convicted felon, you couldn't get a liquor license You or can't. That's why I don't. Own, I didn't own Preservation Pub. You, okay, My you sister owned Preservation Pub. Okay, gotcha. For 10 years. Okay. And then once I get past 10 years, then I can have a liquor and beer license again, mm. and then you can buy it back. Can you vote? I can vote, yes. Okay. I didn't know. I, I've heard some weird stuff about that, too. Yeah, there's a, you, have to, you, you have to go you know, get legal help to do it and a lot of guys just aren't going to go through that right but you felt uh, strongly enough yeah. about getting your rights back yeah that you first did thing that. i did when i got out you know um other people are like oh well I've, I've got four years of paper you know parole or you know you're gonna be on probation or whatever for supervised release for four years mm-hmm. and i first thing i did is, is i told my probation officer i'm like how quickly can i get off of paper man and he says well scott here's the deal everybody else that i deal with they're gonna have a different job next month they're gonna be with a different girl next mm. month yeah, and they're gonna do things like they're gonna test positive when I drug test them. Right, and they're they're gonna be on that cycle of going back to you know the recidivism. Mm-hmm. They're gonna go back to jail over and over because he said I don't think that's gonna happen with you. And I'm like right. no, because I I feel like I would be very foolish mm. to test positive for drugs while I'm on probation, and I'm going back to the same businesses I've always worked in with my family. Sure, and he said well you can't work with your family the first year, so I had to work for someone else and and I did that for a year and then came then I came back to preservation pub but i didn't i didn't i wasn't the manager and i wasn't the owner i was i did you know booking and stuff so. did you feel like the eyeballs were on you when you got out and started getting back in with the businesses yeah i would still feel like that if the law if the if the 
climate of marijuana hadn't shifted so far. Really? Because I'll be honest, I, I, uh, uh, right after you got out and, and started getting back in, I noticed that the Prez Pub started to grow. Mm-hmm. Built the second floor, right? Oh, yeah. Went right out, you well, know, you a year know, after you got out or so. I'm and, not going to take all the credit because obviously Bernadette does all the work. But, mm. but uh, you know, I, I I may not be the workaholic that she is, but I'm I'm pretty visionary when it comes to having a drive to get things done. So, when I got out, you know, we've grown at about 26 percent a year ever since, which is mm. beyond Bernie Madoff numbers, except mine are real. <laughs> except you, you can yeah, yeah back those up. Yeah. So. You got press pub now, yeah. and then you started press to grow pub, that. When I got out, was one floor. Mm-hmm. Took it to two floors while I was still in the halfway house. Bernadette, once I was out, then she started moving on because she felt better about it, I guess. Mm. And then um, as soon as I got out the halfway house, we did the rooftop the next year. Then we, um, a uh, year, a couple of years or so later, then Bernadette and I acquired. We here's how we would always do these things. I go to somebody, I say, I would like to buy your building, and then they sell it to me and I talk them into doing owner financing because banks would never loan me money. Mm. So I would do owner financing where I give you what you want to buy it. Right. And then, but, but then I own it and I don't have to go through a bank to get it from you, but you get paid for that. And so you're worth doing it. And then you'll get it back if I fail to pay you, which I've never reneged on anything like that. I've, I didn't have anyone that said I ripped them off when I went to prison and I don't have anybody that said I ripped them off since I got out. Mm. So, you know, I do the deal and now uh, I have a really good relationship with First Century Bank. Those guys are super cool. I was actually in Leadership Knoxville with the owner of that bank too. <laughs> did Did they ever let you back in Leadership Knoxville? Well, uh, well, I got a, I got a, I get, I get letters asking me for donations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'll be asked to speak for the class at some point, which will be. I don't know if they will because you know I'm, I'm not gonna. Uh, this is who I am. Yeah, and I think people recognize that now that it's all out there i can be very direct i don't have to hide things because it's out there anyway i bet you've got a a just i bet that's somewhat freeing honestly extremely but also i bet you've got this just enormous amount of gratitude because you had so much taken from you uh and 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 uh you know whether it was your fault or not uh i didn't say i didn't say it wasn't my fault i said that i'm not the bad guy right I, I, what I said was the government was wrong. I didn't say I was. Yeah. I didn't say I it wasn't knew. Your fault. Yeah, I you, knew that what I did was illegal, but that doesn't mean I thought it was wrong. Right. Or unethical. There's right. a big difference to me in those things. Right. But you did lose four years of your life. And no, I did not. You um, didn't. You did. I wrote four books in prison, and I got in great shape. I was, you know, I was deadlifting 405 and and doing squats, 10 squats with 360, and I could do 265 bench press, which, by the way, my shoulders are hurting right now, my rotator cuffs, <laughs> which I'm sure is because I tried to – I was too old to be powerlifting. You know what I mean? Mm. That's something I should have done when I was younger, but I waited till I – you know, here I'm like in my 40s learning to powerlift, and so your, your tendons and joints and muscles really probably – I shouldn't have done that to them. Yeah. Did you get to see Bernadette when you guys were – No. No. No, and there's no – there's no conjugal visits in American prisons. That's that's a that's a especially when both of you are there, right? Reality. That's right. Yeah. But we did write letters, and I had all kinds of hilarious letters that, like, I remember my favorite letter was when I wrote to her when I said, Bernadette, I I wrote you a song. It's called She's Waiting, and then she writes me a letter back, and it says, You wrote that for somebody else because I'm not waiting. Oh shit. 
oh man and then she waited that's what's so awesome about it you know? <laughs> but she actually wrote me a letter i'm not you wrote that for somebody else so then i rewrote the song which i'm in a band you know there I was didn't a time when we were on a division of warner brothers called tommy boy records oh yeah i know so, that so anyway we were called boy genius long before the cartoon and long long before the girl band okay we were called boy genius and our our logo looked just like Jimmy Neutron, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, because so, yeah. we were before the cartoon, but anyway, so so I wrote this and song, and then because she said that's you didn't write that for me, then I rewrote it as she's not waiting, which is a way better song when Hell you're yeah, a punk it band. We're in a, it's a punk band, yes. right? Yes. So a punk rock band, of course she's not waiting. You know? Yeah. But I wrote this song, she's waiting, which made no sense in a punk band. So I'm glad she made me rewrite it as she's not waiting because <laughs> it's a better song. It's a better song. <laughs> And well, when she first saw me in jail, this will tell you how wild I was then. She came to see me in the chicken wire. You know, she looking through the chicken wire at me, and, and I'm facing 25 to life, and I'm going to plead out for 75 months is what I got. But So I'm going to plead out for 75 months, which is, what is that? that six, is, uh, six, six six years, something? Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 So so that's what I was convicted of, but I'll, I'll finish that part. And well, I didn't yeah. last. So, so she comes in, and she looks through the chicken wire at me, and she says, I'm glad you're here. Now we can stay together. Ah, love it. <laughs> she wasn't about to have you back at home. <laughs> yeah, she was glad that I was in jail because it would calm me down. She needed a little respite. Yeah, or so. So, so she was glad to see me go to jail. And then uh, she was right, I guess. So how come it was less than six? Good behavior? Because when I was in prison, I got to get in the drug rehab program. Mm. So I got to write Bernadette another letter where I said, you know, um, because I don't have a... She owned her house then, okay? Mm. So I said... Because I don't own a house and because I don't have a job and because I'm a drug addict, I can get 18 months off of my sentence for doing drug rehab, whereas you have to do your full sentence oh, because you're a, man. You're a well-adjusted person, so you have to do your whole prison sentence. <laughs> Rubbing I it in, that Scott. was hilarious. So anyway, so I got out early because I had drug rehab. Were you addicted to drugs at the time? Well, I was partying a lot. Yeah. So I want, you know. Yeah. I don't know. So, so it, it, it wasn't a complete misnomer. No. Yeah. It wasn't completely wrong. I was partying pretty hard. So. Yeah. Hey, we could all say we're addicted to drugs at some point, I yes. guess. Yeah. Yeah. And people also, you know, I'd sit stand there and next to a guy and they'll have, they'll have 18 prescriptions, right? right. And yeah. they'll tell me, I've never done drugs in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you've got 18 prescriptions, dude. Yeah, it's you, a multi trillion dollar industry. Of course you do drugs. Yeah. I don't do any medications. Right. None. However, I do things to feel good and have a good time, mm. which from, for some reason, that's this terrible evil. But I don't do any drugs for like, you know, to medical reasons. Right. So I find that interesting that people imagine that because they got, I don't want to get, I'm not down on people being overweight here, but if you're overweight, it's very unhealthy. Then you wind up with diabetes and they cut your legs off or feet or hands. You lose parts of your body. Like I'm talking 100,000 people a year have amputations or go blind because of diabetes, which is preventable by diet. Mm Mm-hmm. So instead of changing people's diets, they give them, like for your heart, they'll give you statins. They give all yeah. kinds of drugs. Instead so you don't of have to you fix to, the problem. So you don't have to fix the problem. Yeah. Instead of instead of the person walking, you know, maybe eating yeah. some vegetables. Yeah. You know, so instead of that, it's just interesting to me how the world works because people, nobody looks in their own bedroom. They look out the window at their neighbor's bedroom. Mm. And then they want to enforce rules against the neighbor. You know yeah. what I mean? So the instead of looking to themselves, they look... Nobody wants to fix their own problems. They mm. want to fix everybody else's. Yeah. Every day somebody comes to me because you know everybody knows me. Every day somebody comes to me and says, "Scott, so and so is in bad trouble. They need help. We need to do something." And then they'll pat themselves on the back and leave. 
Yeah. So they basically think because they told me that so and so needs help, that they did they right. help, that they then helped the person because Scott should do something. Yep. And that, that that's the position position I'm in most of the time. <sighs> people do that to me every day. I, I have heard that you're a very generous individual. I've heard that uh, people that have worked for you in the past that, you know, um, if somebody's somebody's having a hard time, a real hard time, yeah. and honestly hard time. You, you know, can even make it up and I'll believe you. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard that you've, that you've helped cooks <laughs> I, and waitress, yeah. waiters and waitresses. I don't keep up with that stuff. If, <clears throat> if, a, if a person, you know, my reasoning is I'm not going to stress out because I you know, I help somebody out, and then I don't want to think about it anymore. Right. And you people, do it. people come up to me, and they they pay me back, and I'm like, I had no memory of that helping them out at all. Right. I don't keep track of that because it's it's not something that I want to think about. You know what I mean? So if 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 it's something I feel good about doing, I do it, and I can move on. I don't mm. want to think about, you know, if you know if they don't pay me about such and such, I don't want to think about. You're not keeping score. No. Yeah, you're just doing it to do it. Yeah, to help. No, I would hope, it, but. I, I do the good deed, but then I have this I have these mottos and slogans which are very very cynical. Like I'm like, no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, you know that. So I know I like I was like Scott, can you help me? I can't get my, I'll give you 500 bucks. And I'll you know pay me back if you can. And, I was, and in my head I go, no good deed goes unpunished. You're never gonna see that money. You're yeah, never gonna see that money. Sure. So that's what actually goes through my head, yeah. even as I do the good deed. <laughs> I just I know it's gone. And then sometimes I'm surprised. Not often. Yeah. But, but you're helping. Yeah. But, you know? it, but it helps a lot. So. Yeah. So was there a point when you started to rebuild, you know, you, in the, prison? The, the, in, what's that? In the four years I was in prison, I would write hundreds of pages of business plans. Of what you were going to do. In addition to the books that I wrote on the smuggling and the doing time and uh, poetry and I wrote songs, I wrote albums of songs and stuff. So I did all these th writing things, but I was at the same time, I was going to hit the ground running when I got out. Mm. And so I can tell you there's a, there's a, there's a predictor of success in business. I forget. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell that wrote about it. It's called speed to failure. Fail fast. Uh, the, the only the only way you can determine a person's likelihood of success is speed to failure. So a person that, pardon me, I just drank some beer. So the, <laughs> the only way you can tell, can predict success is, is speed to failure, which means if a person opens a, let's say you, you and I open a bar, mm -hmm. it fails. Mm -hmm. We fail in 12 months. Okay. No, let's, well, I said we go two years. Two years losing money, and okay. then we finally close it. Mm -hmm. And then you like you go off and you I'm going to be an exterminator now or whatever. I'm yeah. going to go do this. Other thing. I'm going to Orkin, and then I'm like, well, I'm going to I'm going to open another bar. If I open another bar, I should either succeed or fail really quickly. Mm. Speed to failure. So I don't, I should not spend another two years losing money like I did the first time. So I knew what I had. You know, we were involved in the, revi the revitalization of the old city. Back mm -hmm. in the 90s, I was the Old City Neighborhood Association president. We had three businesses. I was highly involved in street parties and all kinds of stuff. Not even have a bar back then. Had an ice cream shop, ladies clothing shop, and Earth Old City. Yeah. And we were doing street parties, okay? Now I know the bars and restaurants benefited, not me. But at the time, we did that, right? I wrote a walking tour called Lost Tales of the Old City, which now is four books called Lost Tales of Scruffy City. But I wrote that because people would come into the Old City in the 90s, and they would say, is this it? This is downtown mm. Knoxville. It was embarrassing. Mm. Yeah. So I'm like, I got to give people something to do so they don't have to say that. Yeah, that's it. And so I would, I wrote this walking tour and I put yeah. it all over the place, you know? And then I would do these like old city card and I got all 40 businesses signed up and I'd go in them. So can you give a 10% discount if a person has this card? And they'd be like, I ah, come back next week. And I'm like, I'm not an advertising rep, dude. I'm trying to help your business. <laughs> I'm not coming back. You know, and that's what I'd say to them. I'm not coming back. 
I'm talking to you this time. And if you don't do it, I'm not coming back. And so I went up with like 40 businesses on board. And, uh, and, and I was just trying to promote downtown, but even then, mm. then I wound up getting involved with leadership, uh, not leadership, Knoxville, nine counties, one vision. And then I wound up being the co-chair of nine counties, one vision in the nineties with Lawrence Tulloch. And uh, they hired me to f- photograph the Knoxville for a year, a downtown. And they would say, Scott, can you please get pictures with people in them? Your pictures have no people in them. Nobody so, was there. Because nobody there. Yeah. So so we did that in the nineties and then that's when I figured out that that we needed to be, you know, make it happen. And and Bernadette grew up in Germany. So she so she was all over Europe and she was an international flight attendant when I met her. So mm. so she's she, we'd go downtown and then, you know, it's all boarded up, you know. And so she'd go on Market Square and she's the one that said, Market Square is unique. It's the best thing about Knoxville. And this needs to be revitalized, you know. And she's like, in Europe, you know, all the cities at the town square is where the heartbeat is. Exactly. So, so she knew it had to start on Market Square. Mm-hmm. So so that's why we did Market Square is because that's what she saw as the as the way to go. Now, the reason we started in the old city prior to that is because Bernadette wanted to start on Market Square. My mom worked at TVA. She said, you don't want to go to Market Square. They roll up the sidewalks at, at 5 o'clock. Mm. And it's all homeless people. Like when we were working on Preservation Pub, people don't realize this, but it was literally tumbleweeds i mean it was just like dead boarded up there was a little shed in the middle of market square that was the new farmer's market and there mm. was no farmers the guy that was the one farmer left cheryl jenkins i think was his name died when we started working on preservation pub he was dead so there's no farmers whatsoever in the farm farmer's <laughs> market there's no farmers but at night all the homeless guys would dozens of them would sleep under the shed, yeah. right? It's got yeah. cover. So you'd have dozens of homeless folks sleeping under the shed, which Bernadette would stay up all night painting the walls. Of the of, shed? Of, no, of, of, the, press of, the, pub. of the press pub, trying to get it open. And I couldn't, you know, I'm exhausted at 4 a.m. I wanted to go home and I couldn't leave. And this is back, we would literally pull up <laughs> on Market Square and park in the front window. There's no bollards. There was the, yeah. the city, um, most people wanted Market Square to be a two-way street with parking in the middle and on the sides. Mm. Bernadette was the one that what, that rallied the troops and or the, rallied the folks against it to make it a pedestrian plaza. It was going to be a street. There's that picture of her sitting in the window yeah. looking out over Market Square. When was that taken? That was probably a little bit later than when we got them. So that was around, you know, when the city tore it up, you know, we did sundown in the city with, with AC Entertainment. We partnered on that in the old city and I built the old city courtyard stage and all that is that what is that the catalyst for all that happening was or was uh 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 sundown in the city sundown in the city the way the way i remember it you know who knows what this is 99 2000 right yeah so so i remember ashley caps came to see me because i was the old city neighborhood association president and and ashley said hey i'm going to do a series of concerts on market square can you um, write a letter to the city council because i'm trying to get like one hundred twenty five thousand dollars to to pay for these concerts because before he just done one-offs he's wanting to do 12 so i said it's interesting you came to me because we're actually buying six buildings on market square Mm. so i went in front of city council and said we're getting six buildings based upon events like sundown in the city happening on market square right i'm not saying we're responsible for him getting the money but it sure didn't hurt him right you know what i mean sure so they gave him 125 grand and pilot gave him what 50 or 60 and he got 50 or 60 from marie so he's able to pay for free concerts which quarter, were, he had a quarter million what, dollars to program a summer yeah, so, re, yeah you know whalers and steve winwood and george thurgood and all these blues traveler all these amazing bands yeah he programmed on market square and then of course we opened preservation pub and it was crazy busy you know so i'm sure pretty cool and then somewhere along the way after a year uh, or so of of doing that on market i don't know what was the first year of 
Bonnaroo. 2001, I think. So I think... Um, Maybe 2002. I think they realized that at Market Square, they can't charge tickets. They can't control all the beer sales. They can't control the price the beer is sold at. And they have maybe folks that cause problems that they wouldn't don't have to deal with at Bonnaroo. Yeah. So, you know, I think that they're sitting there going, Bonnaroo, we control everything. Yeah. So, uh, so let's not mess with Now what they, the story that, that they said, and this may be the fact is that they said it was too big for market square. But in my, in my opinion, if it's too big, then why wouldn't you just get a smaller band? The, yeah. You get a band true. that has a, uh, less of a draw. I mean, man, I was, I was in high school at the time, like mm-hmm. the last year of high school. Yeah. And, it was overrun with teenagers who couldn't drink, <laughs> you know, people dropping their well, kids off down there. I learned from Sundown the City. I know we did, like I told you, we partnered with them one year. We did 50-50 with them. So um, when I do this Blackstock project with the old International Electric Ballroom, Concourse, Valerium. The, the that Luniverse. Area, Luniverse Knoxville. When when we do that, I'm going to launch it with a, a concert series. Mm. So I'm going to basically, you know, it, it's essentially pioneering and revitalizing a new arts and entertainment district that black stock is actually bigger than market square the know? the building itself or, or no, the area the, the area it's three and a half acres so it's yeah. bigger than market square which is about an acre and a half maybe or something like that did you get some surface lots around there too mm-hmm. so you got not just the buildings mm-hmm. so you got so you got the cider ha- or whatever the cider house yep. of valerium and then the the parking lots under the bridge yep. and then what about the one that that exits there's a big out parking on, lot you know in, which is about two acre parking lot the, with the is, bridge or, or the tunnel yeah that's the city's that one okay. over there so what i'll do is on that big surface parking lot that's where i'll set up on a big stage and we'll do Big concerts, and I'll plan on doing it this fall. Well, what people don't realize is that is prime time for campus, too, man. It's right out the backside of White Avenue and all that. I know. Well, I know you do, but but it's something you don't think about because because Blackstock seems like such a no-man's land because of all the street traffic. But if you put a concert there that that students want to see, they're coming. They'll come. You don't have to worry about parking either. With them. Yeah, that's right. And that's who you want for concerts. That's who's going to come to concerts. Yeah. So, uh, So from my point of view, I can control it just like AC went to Bonnaroo to control everything. I can control everything there too. Really? Market Square is a public plaza. Mm-hmm. This space is private. I can put up fencing. Yeah. I can control. I can, you know, I don't have to have folks that are going to cause problems mm-hmm. coming into the space. I yep. can prevent that. Yep. And I can, and I can control the, the space so that we can have, we don't, we can do what AC did on Market Square, but we can control the problems that they couldn't. Mm. They, they, they had issues with things that we can, um, I, I think with private property, we can deal with better. That is going to be so badass. That place has been so uh, fraught, yeah. you know, over the last, I mean, since I the World's the Fair, it seems it. Like. I do. I think we're the ones to do it because we've, like I say, we, you know, we were down in the pioneering uh, of the old city and we watched what happened that went wrong down there, which is, you know, there's a person that got shot. There was a, and here's the difference is if a person gets shot or uh, um, assaulted say, uh, at a West Town Mall, mm-hmm. Back in the day, it wasn't news because you know, your newspaper doesn't want profits and Sears to pull their advertising. Sure. So it was kind of quiet, like UT. Things happen at UT all the time. You don't hear about it. Right. But that'd be it, ba- that'd be bad for uh, uh, for enrollment. But if something <laughs> happens in the old city, it's all these little mom and pop businesses. So there's mm-hmm. no advertising money. Right. So everybody jumps onto it and does all these stories and you know you know goes after it and goes for the essentially tears the jugular out of the down of the old mm. city. So the old city went. Overnight went from 100% business to 50% business in one night. Because of a murder. Because, because, somebody some, got because shot. something happened yeah. that then the news would not let go of. They just mm. wouldn't let go of it. And so. And this had, was in the 90s? Mm-hmm. So 
So Bernadette says we don't want to go to Market Square. Market Square is nothing but a shack. But a no, shack. No, my right mom now. or your mom yeah. said that because of TVA. She worked at TVA. She worked at TVA. She, TVA, she, and she looked down on it from yeah. her window and she said that Market Square is right. Is dead at four, five o'clock. So you need to go to the old city where at least something's right. happening. Right. So at this time you've got hoorays down there. You've got the those beef. all disappeared. After what I'm talking about. Really? Yeah. Tomo was there? Tomo was there. Yeah, yeah. you re- remember pretty far back. There was yeah. Spaghetti Warehouse was before Barley's. Okay. And the Spaghetti Warehouse became Barley's when Doug, um, Doug, what was Doug's last? He, he had the Barley's in Asheville. He, he's mm. the one that did. That brought him here? That brought, he turned Spaghetti Warehouse into Barley's. Okay. Then he sold that to, I guess, Randy, Randy. Burleson, who then sold it to the Boyds. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Boyd. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, it's been through a few hands now. But but there were there but it there actually were had some nightlife yeah going on people and then went it down kinda there kind of died mm-hmm. and then we went up to Market Square because we're like it's got to start up here so so then we became the the nightlife up, and up there and what I, was there when you when you first uh, opened the only thing that were Subway yeah Subway was there so it's hard to it's hard to say anything about the chain since they've been there longer than anybody <laughs> but Subway was there and uh, Tomato Head they opened about the same time we did in the old city but they were they opened on Market Square and mm. then we came up. 10 years later so they've been downtown a long time too and then um soup kitchen that's it yeah okay so it was shuttered mm-hmm. other th- other than that yeah did you how long did it take for you to start to notice that you guys were making an impact on foot traffic and that people weren't scared to come when out we, when we first opened preservation pub there was no traffic on foot ut week football weekends no traffic for halloween none for new year's eve none for halloween um st patty's day none of those the drinking holidays nobody came to market square well yeah go but to the now, old city man everybody goes yeah like I, I, on New Year's Eve, there were more people in line to get in our place than there were on the World's Fair Park. Sure, where the ball drop was. Yeah, so it might be a good <laughs> idea to let people drink champagne. I don't know for New Year's Eve, maybe. It, did know. they not let them do that? No, it was alcohol-free New Year's Eve, and they're gonna. What good is that? If well, if you're gonna drink friendly. one time a year, right, that's here's the it, thing. Right? I, my dad was a great dad. My mom was a great mom, and they drank. And everybody's mom and dad I knew that were awesome also drank. So this idea of family-friendly, mm-hmm. meaning nobody drinks. Yeah. That's uh, some hypocrisy right yeah, there. Yeah, that blue law stuff is on its way yeah. out, man. It has to be. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, man. When I pushed forward on what pandemic started, and I said it's hundreds of times safer to be outside than inside, make Market Square, which is a big giant patio anyway. Yeah. Make the whole square be a, uh, an open container area. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and they basically said it's a family-friendly place. And I'm like- Exactly. The patios <laughs> on Market Square are part of Market Square. Yeah. So if you're drinking beer on Tomato Heads patio- or Cafe Four, or Preservation Pub, you're on Market Square. It's not mm. our property. That mm. belongs to the city. So to say, to say it's a family friendly, therefore there can't be alcohol. There already is. There yeah. already, Dogwood Arts. No one says how evil it is when Dogwood Arts sells alcohol. Rossini right. Fest, Shakespeare on the Square, Ola Fest, Asian Fest. They all have beer. They all yeah. have alcohol. They all I mean, Sundown in the City did. So, so the idea. Well, that's a concert. So, you know, yeah. a lot of people have a negative thought about that too. Yeah. So this scapegoating of alcohol and scapegoating of bars, when we were closed during the pandemic for seven months, alcohol sales went up 30% in America Yeah. or in Knoxville for sure. Yeah, yeah. So everybody's drinking more because they're not at work, mm-hmm. but yet they're still scapegoating the bars as the cause of the pandemic. Right. It was the strangest thing ever. So I'm saying, What's dangerous is being inside, mm-hmm. like you are when you go to Uncle Johnny's house or, you know, sure. church, church yeah. or the over to your the, buddy's house to drink, rave at your buddy's house <laughs> yeah. because the bars are closed. Yeah. So essentially, I'm saying let it, let them drink on the square where they are safe, and then oh no no that's it's, it's that's what causes the pandemic is people going to your you know market square and drinking beer. That's what's causing the pandemic. Pretty much is was the implication. Yeah. And so uh, they wouldn't do it, and 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 now it's two years later, and I 
still feel the same way about it. Have you seen what all the cities in Georgia are doing? Alpharetta. Uh, uh, no. There's a bunch of cities in Georgia where they just open container laws. They took them away. And now you can walk out of a restaurant with a, with a drink and walk around from place to place. They just, they just took them away because I don't know why they did it, but it's helped a lot. Well, like in Knoxville, they've got this, you know, we didn't use it at all. Like you can, they made it, they made it where you can sell alcohol to go as long as it's got a sealed top, which means leave the top of the straw on or something. Yeah, exactly. So, so you have all these places selling alcohol to go. We didn't do that. I, I'm like, I, I've already had a, my storied past. I'm not going to go anywhere near any gray areas. Right, right, right. You know, like, like a del- what Delta Eight or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure I could sell the hell out of it, but I'm not going to yeah, do it because right. it feels like something I'm. going They get sell in it at the brickyard. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of places sell it, but yeah. I'm sitting there like, yeah, I'm just going to hold off. Yeah. When it's legalized, then I'll brand the hell out of it. Yeah. Wild Wild West Brothers, you know, whatever. Yeah. But anyway, so so those types of things, I, I'm just not really going here, but it's the the nature of the hypocrisy of you know prohibition didn't work for the same reason that. Us being closed for, you know, the bars are closed for seven months to prevent the pandemic. It's really just another little prohibition thing. You know what I mean? Because Seems like you didn't stop all these other things. It's like you would watch all these sporting events and you would watch these church events and, and it was okay to have protests and it was okay to, you know, you know, have political events. But yet the only place where human beings coming together was dangerous was a bar or restaurant. It was very strange to me. Yes. And <clears throat> I wonder how you got through it because you were very... It seemed like uh, you you didn't want to put your you didn't want to put your uh, employees at risk. You didn't want to put anybody right. at risk. You were, you you. Were... We just basically said if rather than play this game, mm-hmm. we just closed. Yeah. Just like you know this you know pretend this or that. We closed as long as we could for as long as our employees could get unemployment. Right. And then when they could no yeah. longer get that, then we hired everybody back. Yeah, I remember that, and I remember that being a really employee friendly move and I'm, I'm glad you said that so so you guys kind of played the game mm-hmm. or and, and let them play the game and said we'll yep. just you know like we'll- if you guys can make this kind of money sitting on the couch and we'll just close and then yeah. of course bernadette and i didn't stop we kept we kept you know we fixed up the pub we everything that was any leaks there were any machinery that needed to fix we fixed everything up you know and, and then kept working on bernadette's crystal gardens which took three years to build i mean we we didn't stop. Right. So, so the, the the things I did during the pandemic that that mattered, like I I I went back to all the banks, you know, and I re renegotiated all of our loans and and uh, consolidated that kind of stuff, and then and then by you know, kind of pushing the staff to do the unemployment for the while it was available, and then uh, finishing Bernadette. So that as soon as the pandemic laws ended, we were able to open Bernadette's, which vastly expanded the pub right so so we just kept going and we did a bunch of stuff that i think were pretty good moves yeah there's another one of those over there if you need it um, uh, the problem is i must swallow it weird because you know then i have to turn away to try to <laughs> belch on your interview that's all right man. <laughs> uh one of the biggest things that i that i, I think back uh when the rooftop opened that seemed like a really big deal yeah, at, at Prez Pub because it was the first one. Well, right? we were the first wine bar in downtown Knoxville. We were the first rooftops in downtown Knoxville that in that the public could go to. That we were the first rooftop bar in downtown Knoxville. I, I think there may have been only one or two rooftop bars in Nashville when we did our rooftop bar. And really? you know, that's a big city. So yeah. we're doing a rooftop bar in Knoxville. This is there's not a pressure to go up in Knoxville yet. Oh, you know yeah, I mean? to to go vertical. Yeah, like you, Air have to go, you go vertical in places like New York City, mm-hmm. where you got to go vertical. Mm-hmm. So Knoxville doesn't have that pressure, but we just wanted to have the rooftop bar, you know. So yeah. so we did that so we get a beautiful green rooftop, cool space, and then we didn't want to have a plastic room, so we didn't put plastic tents on the, you know, to 
be inside while being outside. So yeah. we're either we're like if we lose some days because it's raining or cold, and we'll lose them. Sure, but it's going to be outside. Yeah, if we're going to do a roof. Well, we got two other floors we can hang out that's on. That's right. So yeah. that, that's why we did the roofs the way we did them. And then I thought everybody else would jump on the bandwagon instantly. I thought there'd be a ton of roofs really fast. Yeah, but it took a long time. Now it's a tsunami. Well, who um, who else has done it? Well, it's, besides... all the, it's all the hotels. Oh yeah, the yeah, hotels the... have done it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's nice. Yeah, it's cool. Yep, it's, it's... ours is still the most bohemian. You know, it, all the other ones are corporate. Sure is. Yeah. So, uh, where are you from here, Scott? I don't know this. From, I went to Lenore City High School. Okay. Yeah. And then you before go to there was a dam, uh, before there was a Walmart, really? before there was a McDonald's, when there was no money there at all, um, we we went to high school in Lenore City. When did you meet Bernadette? Um, she was a flight attendant, and I I was you know, just. I was, you know, I spent eight years getting a bachelor's degree, so, so I don't know who to, somewhere in there. I, Were you I flying really, Lufthansa? I was really just partying. <laughs> yeah. So now I met her at Planet Earth, which was a bar in the old city. Oh, I remember. I just that. saw these nice legs go by, and I turned around and followed him, and it was her. So that's how I met her. I met her in a bar. <laughs> I've been wondering that forever. I don't know your story at all. Yeah. Lenore City High School. Well, she played soccer for UT, and so okay. then she was a flight attendant. So she was, I guess, she was in her flight attendant dress or whatever. So um, yeah, she went, and, she went up the steps and planet earth and so then i and, uh, so then i went to go meet her but that's how i met her and and then that was was that the like eligaroos days yeah right eligaroos eligaroos is interesting because that was ashley cap's first bit business and yeah. then it went bankrupt and then after that he was he brill, brilliantly um came up with a way of you know making sure everything's covered before you do it like if you do if you have sponsors and subcontractors and everything that he did he was able to do all these things after that where you don't run the risks of having a kitchen you know mm. these guys in the kitchen and having to pay everybody and speed to failure every you know yeah 300 that's right yeah. 365 he figured out that what i'm good at is the music i put in the club mm. not the kitchen and not you know he, it's a problem to have dinner and then to say we need 20 bucks for you to stay and watch Elgar, you know, Bella, yeah, yeah. Bella, Adrian Ballou or whoever. So, yeah. so it was Delbert a problem. McClinton. <laughs> yeah, so it was a problem for him to, to do that. So he's basically quit doing that and just went to straight um, being a started promoter. to leverage what he yeah what he was, was good, at. good at. Awesome. So the you're, dude, I am so pumped about the Luniverse. So can you like build out the world for me a little bit and tell me what you? Well, my reasoning is that you know speed to failure thing again. We were in the old city. And we saw what failed. Then we came to Market Square where we thought it had to begin because it's on the top of the hills. And you know, so we we were. I think we speeded up downtown revitalization dramatically with what we did. I'm not saying we were so low. There are lots of people that did stuff, but the, I was laughed at in the nineties. People called me a Pollyanna because mm -hmm. I was so positive. Yeah. Pollyannish. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 so they made, they made, uh, made it, they, and they still do. Mm. People, like I, like there were, the, there were these Instagram posts, like, you know, these, uh, Oh shit. What about make, Scott by Scott West? Yeah. The people, what the fuck was that, man? So basically I, I thought that was you for so well, long. That's when I, that's what the, was the problem with it is that I didn't, I don't mind when you make fun of me, but right. when you, when people think it's me and I say horrible things about, and they think I'm saying horrible things about other people. Yeah, that was a problem. For did me. you have to shut that down? I didn't shut it down, but it, somebody did. But the really, pro the problem is that, from my point of view, I, I just told people I'm like, it kind of bothers me because it makes me look like I'm insulting other people. Yeah, so I, I want to like I the ones like they, they would have all these quotes like it would have me and it would and and would, the quote would be and I thought this was hilarious. It said. It's a basement level rooftop bar. You know, they'd always have me saying stupid. And yeah. they, would, they would. The implication was that I was an idiot. Yeah. But they really kind of were 
fixated on me, which means they must admire me somehow. Right. So I, I want to explain it to people because they might not know. Um, it was a, it was an Instagram meme account yeah. that was called Scott by Scott West. And it, and it was just these kind of esoteric downtown, even preservation pub focused uh, memes that were, you know, Funny sometimes, sometimes really funny and sometimes vicious. Yeah, and sometimes vicious. Yeah, and I and and I I remember the first one I got. I was like, why would he say that? Yeah. Like that doesn't sound like. Yeah. And a lot of people probably still think that was me that said that stuff. No, but it wasn't me. No. Yeah, but, but anyway, they, they, but I but that that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that I believe that envy is a very powerful emotion, and I do believe yeah. that things are driven by stuff like that because it obviously somebody that used to work for me, you know. And, yeah, and I. I doubt I did anything to them because I, I'm not usually the one that hires you or fires you. You know right, what I mean? Right. So, so the the fact that they fixated on me, I think, is kind of a compliment. But I also think that it's much easier to tear things down than to build them. Mm. So it's very easy sure. to sit and be the peanut gallery and take shots of somebody that's doing stuff, and it's kind of a compliment. So I don't worry about it. Yeah. The problem was that there was mistaken identity involved. Yeah. 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 That, that's I don't. Yeah. You should own it mm-hmm. you know or or at least own it as someone other than me if you're gonna, yeah if you're going to target other people yeah but it's it's a faceless deal isn't it like, yeah there's nobody says nobody's claiming it so it's pretty it's, sometimes it's clever and sometimes it's mean yeah you know, so yeah absolutely i've seen some that i'm like man i can't yeah. get behind that i don't right you know if you look at my social media it's pure purely everything's positive and everything's my whole thing is to be a cheerleader for downtown knoxville that's what i do all the time i love it and i promote our businesses and i promote um, my version of our history and I promote other businesses and artists and entrepreneurs. Everything, um, keep Knoxville scruffy. The idea behind that was I was in prison and I was like, you know, the keep Austin weird. That was yeah. that was actually a, a guy made it up. Yeah, it was taken by a corporation. So the guy who invented it doesn't even own it. Yeah. So uh, then it was keep Portland weird. Keep Asheville weird. You're not yeah. weird. You're just copying yeah, Austin. You're copying Austin. Yeah. So I'm like, we can't have a slogan like that. Mm-hmm. We have to have a slogan that's just Knoxville that nobody else would want, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, what's what is a slogan that nobody else would want? <laughs> <laughs> well, in 1980, the Wall Street Journal said Knoxville is just a scruffy little city on the Tennessee River. It's yeah. gonna have a failed uh, 1982 World's Fair. Yeah. Well, then we had a successful World's Fair, and so then people said, "With a scruffy little city that did it," or something mm-hmm. like that. And then it went into history. It the scruffy away. little city that could. Yeah, that did it, I think. <laughs> yeah. oh, but so it's it, yeah. kind of faded into obscurity, and then it was just a little piece of history, right? Yeah. So my thing was, and I what what I think we did. That's, you know, what, what I told my family. Here's what's gonna happen. This is gonna be ubiquitous. Like the Big Apple is New York City. It's going to be a scruffy city, and scruffy doesn't – it doesn't have to – like moonshine is an illegal, untaxed liquor, mm-hmm. neutral spirit, right? Yeah. But now they've got moonshine that they're all paying taxes on. Hmm. By definition, it's not moonshine. Right. Yet it is because that guy, guy was brilliant. I thought when he did that, I was I'm like, this is crazy stupid. But you he mean redefined, like Old Smoky and – He redefined the word moonshine where now it's a, it's a category of liquor now. Yeah. It's like a, same as vodka or something like that, right? Yeah. It's just, but it's just neutral. pure grain alcohol, right? Well, or whatever they or want corn to make. It's like, it's like a gin or a vodka, right? So <laughs> the brilliance of what he did was he kind of rebranded the name. So I'm like, Scruffy doesn't have to mean a negative connotation. Right. Scruffy can mean, because I say it means, support local stuff. Sure. Support local artists, support local history, support local businesses, support local farmers, all that. That's what it means. Well, I read on the, I read the Wall Street Journal quote on the wall at the pub, mm-hmm. and Nobody was doing anything with it. This was 15 years ago, but I started to see you champion it a little bit. Yeah. 
And, you know, I obviously took it from you. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, people well, have taken I, it. I, that was the idea, though. And, people are like, what do you think about I'm like, I'm not saying that the word, the word scruffy's not mine. And, and, and also, I just want to be clear, the reason I trademarked all this stuff, which I did, was not so that I could prevent some artists from putting Scruffy City on a shirt. Mm. The reason I trademarked it is so that what happened to the guy in Austin doesn't happen to me, mm. which is some corporation then trademarks yeah. it. And then nobody gets to use it except them, which I didn't want. So basically, my point of view is by me protecting it, now the corporation, the big corporation can't get it. So I've made it so now just the small the artists yeah. and stuff can use it. That's what I've done. I, I actually, because I don't know you, this is the first night we've met, uh, I... I I wondered. I was like, man, if I use this, am I am I gonna never be able to have Scott on the on the uh, podcast? Because I took his. No, the, I took I, his the word. idea was to make it ubiquitous. That, that, that's what I wanted. Was that I wanted to see the the name Scruffy City become um, like an like a, badge a beloved of a yeah. beloved um, nickname for Knoxville. It has yeah. done that. So that that's the idea. Yeah. People, I mean, when I was doing it, people were like, "I'm so sick of you saying Scruffy City." They, people were like constantly tell me how sick they were of me saying it but you know i'm like nobody says they're sick of hearing knoxville yeah nobody says they're sick of hearing the big apple yeah so it's just that you haven't heard it enough yet yeah it's just at the point where you're annoyed then it's going to become part of the lexicon and then we'll be used yeah. to it so yeah. at some point it's just going to be what it is i think it's getting there yeah. can, can you just just for a second can you can you just build out the 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 uh the Luniverse thing, just your whole, your whole yeah. idea for it. But so we, so, uh, cause I know a lot of people, I mean, there's little bits of it you can get here, yeah. little bits of it cause you've done our interviews and other articles and things like that. But well, downtown is fairly, downtown Knoxville is fairly small. So, so what I've seen happen, remember what I mentioned earlier was that, you know, the, the real estate values on market square are, are 20, 20 times what they were when yeah, we started. So I'm stupid. like, well, I'll just, I said years ago, I said, I will never pioneer another district because it really? takes a decade. Yeah. But this so is you. This is you pioneering another. Pioneering district. another. So district. when you pioneer Market Square, it took it took ten years before yeah. the place took off. Yeah. So, so my my reasoning was that I don't want to do that again. I'm 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 old enough now. I'm I'm successful enough. I don't have to do that. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. But then she, you know, you know how it is. So then it comes around. I'm like, oh man, I want, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. So so I basically got, got this idea that. I want to build a moon sphere that's bigger than the sun sphere that's on the essentially on the 50th anniversary of the Butcher Brothers going down for the biggest bank fraud and bank failure in U.S. history who basically brought the world to Knoxville with the 1982 World's Fair who then after they were taken down the day after the World's Fair they were yeah. taken down by the, the feds yeah the day after they I talked to the guy who arrested they raided their banks the yeah. day after mm -hmm. that's why the banks failed because they mm -hmm. got raided, right? Mm -hmm. So once they raided those banks, which was probably somewhat political, because one of the brothers ran for governor, yeah, right? which twice, was, I think, yeah. which may have made enemies. Think yeah. about it as a Democrat. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So he might have made some enemies. So then, when they saw an opportunity, they went for him. So anyway, these brothers that were doing something that you know is more criminal than what I believe I did, because if old people ladies, lost, if man, old ladies lose their retirement, that's different to me. Mm -hmm. That's the way I see it. But anyway, so these brothers, but they did try to they tried to revitalize downtown knoxville the world's fair should have been when downtown took off and it would have been but then when they came in and seized their banks well the butcher brothers were over 50 percent of the loans in downtown knoxville to right. the entrepreneurs yeah so if if the bank that's over 50 percent of the loans to entrepreneurs downtown is is has his legs cut out from under it what happens to downtown? Have you it heard went that? into a tailspin yeah. for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So basically, we I was there then. You know, Bernadette worked the 1980 World's Fair mm. in the Stroh House. And then I was at UT, and then after it 
they took down their brothers. I was down there drinking, you know, quarts of, of, uh, of, of beer and bouncing on the Tennessee amphitheater at night. So, I mean, it was empty. It was just completely empty. Kind of like market square later. It was yeah. completely empty. Mm -hmm. And so even then, um, you, you could see, you knew it was the future was there, but, it, but it, because of what happened to the butcher brothers, it took a long time to get to where, what I'm talking about now, which is I want to, the West brothers who were taken down by the federal government also for a much smaller, but a big conspiracy, but then came back to the same place. And then I want to build something that historically makes sense in a linear fashion. There was a sun sphere in 1982. There's a moon sphere in 2022 or 2032. Yeah. <laughs> 2032. There was a, there was a sundown in the city in 1998. There's a moon rise in the city in 2023 so 25 years later so all these kind of historical dates i'm basically inserting us into the timeline of history in, in essence yes so the idea being that you do something important i've also i've got no children so everybody's like why are you doing it and i'm like what are you what are you going to do if you make money i'm like i still wear these hoodies that say keep nocturnal scruffy i still wear the same beat up shoes i i don't buy nice houses or nice i'm not trying to live in a mansion i'm not trying to drive a Ferrari. That's not what I do. So what will I do? Well, what I'll do is Preservation Pub, which the name means Preserve Historic Buildings, Preservation Pub, mm -hmm. is going to become Preservation Pub Preserving Habitat for Animals. So mm. all the all the downtown stuff will become a for-profit arm of a non-profit that protects habitat, because cr critters only need habitat. That's the only thing that's What protected. kind of animals? Well, if I buy wild property animals? up against the Great Smoky Mountains, then I'm protecting wild animals. Gotcha. In the in, endemic to this area. Gotcha. Right? Okay. So if I could do it, I'll do that. And okay. then I'll have an eco resort, preservation eco resort, that you can go stay in, and there'll be trails that go and you can go explore around. But the, it's the animals' home, and you get to visit mm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's what I'll do with the Lunaverse. So the Lunaverse becomes the next entertainment. The, the, here's the point. I lost out on the the what we created on Market Square. All of the profits were sucked out. Mm. From you know what we did, we made it so other people were really able to profit from the what we created. So that ground level didn't exist anymore on Market Square. So now I go to Blackstock and I create my own ground level in my own Market Square, and I do it again. Except this time I don't have to worry about you know anything getting not in being the able way. to afford. The property I've already bought it, so now the idea is I'll build a and I'll build it speed to failure. I'll build I won't fail this time. I'll 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 do it much more quickly than I could have done it thirty years ago or twenty years ago or ten years ago. Music venues, bars, all that happening right now. Retail, there. retail, all that. I'm mean, I'm I'm not planning on in, in the beginning. I'm going to do I want to do outdoor stuff because I can do it quickly, mm. and I want to do food trucks. So I'm going to have I'll have ten food trucks at the at the concerts this fall. I plan on doing Thursday night moonlight moon down. Moonrise in the city Thursday night, six to ten o'clock, and I'll do like tailgate parties for UT games down there outside on Fridays, and then we'll have you know everything outside so that the food's outside, the drinks outside, the entertainment's outside, food trucks are all lined up, and we'll have you know all those. There's 120 local food trucks, so we'll be able to you know make artistic you know foods. Food is art as well. It's just it, it doesn't survive long. It's it's a temporary art form, mm. but food uh, will be down there, and the artistic food trucks. Probably won't do a lot of funnel cakes and that kind of stuff, but right. more of the artistic kind of food. Sure. But yeah, we'll do that right away. And then and then over the course of the next few years, Lunaverse Knoxville's well, you know, a lot of people have been using words. They throw out words to me like like, you know, uh, 
George R. R. Martin that created Game of Thrones. He helped fund something called Meow Wolf Out West, which is a immersive art. So, you know, my plan is to hire about 400 artists, spend about a million dollars on grants to artists to to create the Luniverse. So Luniverse is a blank canvas for artistic gardens and sculptures and interior spaces to be created. Essentially, like the way I imagine it is, it doesn't have to be a bar, but like Bernadette's Crystal Gardens, mm. there's 45,000 pounds of crystals. We don't sell the crystals. We could, but we don't sell the crystals. The crystals right. are the ambiance. Yeah. So in Luniverse Knoxville, the Luniverse is the ambiance, and then whatever happens inside the ambiance, we'll see. But I want to definitely make it where a lot of local artists benefit and participate. And we know a lot of them. So that that's the plan down there is to do something super art-oriented, music, food, you know, sound, uh, visual, sculpture. Even if we can come up with olfactory kind of stuff, you know, smells and stuff. Or anything I can Hit do all that. the senses? Yeah. That was the, that was the idea. Every, every business, I want to hit all the senses. But the only one that we really did that was with Earth, Earth to Old City. It's very smelly when you go. It smells it really smells nice. It smells great, yeah. It's, it's got a lot of odors, so. I cannot imagine where we would be without you, man. I really can't. I, I was just thinking I about think it. I think what happened, it would just take a little longer. But yeah. also re- keep in mind, too, that I understand that everything's got its place and people deserve credit. But people say stuff like, you know, that what is the quote of the uh, – essentially they'll say stuff like the housing brings people. What is it? The, the quote I don't about, know him. No, housing. Like like yeah. you create living spaces right, I don't know and the that quote, drives though. it. But essentially, the people have this argument that if you want to have nice businesses downtown, then you have to have housing. No. You create cool spaces, which are art mm-hmm. galleries and bars and cafes, and then cool people, young people, yeah. want to go there. And then once they hang out in those places, they want to live near those places. And then cool businesses that want to hire those people move. And then eventually you need a shoe store. That's how it works. Right. Yeah. I, I think about the renaissance of downtown Knoxville. And there's two names that, that come to mind. And it's 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 you and it's uh, David Dewhurst. Yeah. You know, David Dewhurst started building places for people to live. Mm-hmm. And you started building places for people. Well, Lee to... Birch was down there. He did the Sturkey Loss before either one of us. Right. On the hundred space. Yeah. And David, when he arrived, I, th- I think when he arrived in Knoxville, I was already the Old City Neighborhood Association president with three businesses. Really? So that's how long we've been going down there. Right. But here's the but thing. But you gave people something to do. Yeah, and that's they, what I'm saying. Why Be- the hell would you move downtown if you exactly. didn't have anything to do? My reasoning is you have to have something cool to go to or nobody wants to live there. Right. So that, I think, is essential to why. But but here's the, the chicken and the egg. Yeah. If if all the other developers are chickens, I'm we're the eggs. You yeah. Know? yeah. Because what we do is we create the things to do. And then they create the places to live. Right. And and here's the way a normal developer works. They'll buy a building and they'll flip it, or they'll buy a building and they'll rent it, or they'll buy a building and uh, and, and rent it to a, a, a business that, in other words, they don't buy a building and create a brewery. They buy a building and wait to see who rents it. Right. If it's a shoe store, it's a shoe store. Maybe it's a brewery, but it's probably not going to be a brewery. Right. If I buy a building and I want a brewery, I'm going to build a brewery. Right. So that's the difference. I will own the brewery, but there's going to be what I want in that building, mm. and I I don't buy buildings to rent them. Everything we buy, we we, inha- we inhabit. So <laughs> I have no interest. I don't want to be a landlord. That's not yeah. my interest. Right. But I do want to control our destiny, so therefore we have to control the building to do that. So we get the building, and then we create the thing, which then will hopefully long-term will do good for everybody. I don't see how you do it, man. I don't. What, dri- what drives you to do it? Well, you got to do something with your time. 
well, I know, but but you do a lot with yeah. your time, and you could just as easily be home watching movies. Yeah, you know. Well, yes, I think it's some some degree of part of its competitiveness, but some of it's a chip on the shoulder. You know, like essentially, people said terrible things when I got indicted that made me really angry, and then uh, things happened that made me, you know, I, I didn't want to be bitter about it, so I wrote the books to be funny. And then I wanted to come back and succeed so that I wouldn't be bitter and say, you know, I did this and then I don't have anything to show for it. You know, I didn't want that kind of thing to happen to me. So I want to I want to control the narrative to some degree, too. Like, I don't want somebody else writing my story. Right. Because because a federal prosecutor would write a different story about me than I would. Mm. He would say, I was, we put this guy in prison for being a criminal. and He came out of ex-convict. He's a drug dealer. Yeah. That'd be his story. Right. And mine is. No, no, we were the anti-heroes. You know, we were the good guys. Yeah, we fought a, uh, uh, you know, a good fight. You know, we were outside of the system, and we were surrounded by drug addicts and cartels and gangbangers and and then DEA and local sheriffs and and all these all these forces around us that would take what we had or hurt us or, you know, whatever, or put us in prison. And you know, and and these things were swirling around us. But you know, it's kind of like we're the good guys, not like. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were very likable, but they were, if you think about that movie, they're shooting people. The whole yeah. Time. And then like Unforgiven, I love Clint Eastwood in that movie. But again, the thing was, he was a bad, he was a likable, likable guy, but he shot a bunch of people. Remember, yeah. he's like, I'm a, he's a bad guy when he's drinking, but you really like him. Yeah. So, so what you want to, the difference in our story is that we're, we're, we're hopefully likable, but we actually aren't shooting people. But then I know we're not movie characters, but I'm just saying that, that you yeah. want to be the anti-hero. Not like even like a Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson has a version of drug use that's like kind of intense, you know? Yeah. And like there's guns involved. He's shooting yeah. things all the time. Yeah. My brother's version is if he is taking mushrooms or acid or, or ayahuasca, which he's done all that stuff. So if he takes that, whereas you would say, or I would say, well, I, you know, I, I altered my reality. My brother would say, no, no, that was reality. Yeah. He would say that I actually went to this other planet mm. and married these women and lived for yeah. a lifetime and then came vines. back 15 seconds later. Yeah. So he would, in his version, he lived that. That yeah. is, in his mind, and I'm not saying he's wrong. Right. He, he's, you know, his ideas may be much more depth than ours because he's imagining infinite dimensions of which, you know, quantum physics and we're, we're told us is true, right? Mm -hmm. So what he, I'll give you an example. When I, when I would do a hallucinogenic, it would affect me greatly, so I would have to have a focus. So I started doing photography. Well, mm. my photographs have been on magazine covers and calendars and everything. So obviously the hallucinogenic I used pretty well. And what I discovered was that if I used a high-saturated, high-definition film, that it took a picture exactly like what I saw, mm. which is not what I saw when I wasn't tripping. Gotcha. So pretty interesting if you think about that. If it's fake, if it's not real, then why did the picture capture it? Right, so I, it's, basically, it's an intensified reality, is what it is. So, I've, and I also, you, if you're ever doing hallucinogenic, then like if you're listening to music, sometimes you'll hear rhythms within rhythms, mm. which you never heard right before. Something you've listened to a thousand times. And it's not that they're not there; they're yeah. there. Yeah, you just didn't hear it before. Yeah, they've always been there. So, like a, you know, a, a squirrel and a dog and a, and a mosquito experience reality very different than you. Mm. Like I'm throwing a ball for my dog this morning. If it lands in a spot the dog doesn't see where it lands, it's an orange ball. Obviously, the dog is colorblind because he can't see the orange ball. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm like, get the, you know, you, yeah, you can't a different get, reality yeah, for you. So it's a different reality. 
So and, and they're always sniffing things and eating things that are disgusting <laughs> because it, for some reason, if you have a really good sense of smell, disgusting flavors are good. I don't know what that is, but <laughs> dogs have a better sense of taste and smell than us. Why are they eating that? Yeah, they love to That's roll. That's a catcher, dude. Yeah. Don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> don't eat that. Oh man. Scott, dude, I am so glad to meet you, and I'm so glad that we got to do this. Yeah, very cool. So and, were there any questions in particular that you wanted to ask that you didn't get to? I think we uh, – no, I don't think so. I mean, you got after it. Well, I'm kind of a stream-of-consciousness guy. I was nervous about asking you about going to prison. Yeah, I don't know why you know, I was nervous about that. About that, that. Is, uh, is I think that I wanted to talk about a lot of different stuff, and so that was – you know, that's there's – because I have a degree in creative writing, which is going to come in handy, by the way. Sure. So this degree in creative, it comes in handy on Facebook already. <laughs> but the degree in creative writing is, is about my, I don't see life as, it's, I see it as chapters, you know. So you can't have an interesting story if something, you know, terrible doesn't happen to you. If, if you don't go through some kind of crisis, you have a boring story. That's why so many writers, it's very, they write about being a writer. You notice how many books and movies are about writers being writers? Yeah. Uh-huh. Why? Why is that? Because that's because the only story. Because people are narcissistic, they got. Yeah. and that's the only story they got. That's yeah. all they know. Yeah. So like, oh, well, what I know is sitting at this typewriter. So here's a story about how he's at a typewriter. You know. So so it's in, in some ways, having a a colorful, immersive life experience is if if you become a writer, it's pretty handy, right? And you know you, what's interesting to people? What conflict? Yeah. You know. Well, I was, the easy road is not. These guys I've been talking to, they're like, you know, there has to be conflict in every scene. I'm like, oh, you're talking about every your documentary in, people. Well, and, and the one doing the, the movie and stuff. Yeah. So there has to be conflict in every scene, and they're like, you can't be just, the, you can't be the superhero if that's what you mean, Scott. I'm like, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the good guy. I, I, you know, I see myself. I'm not the good guy. I just see it as it's interesting because this, it's different than this. The way drugs are perceived is on the right. You, the drug dealers, the criminal. They should all be shot. They should be put in prison. They're terrible, evil people. Mm -hmm. On the left, you have this bleeding heart idea that they're all victims. Mm. All drugs are these poor victims of this terrible thing. Yeah. It's neither. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Probably. Most people don't drink beer because they're terrible, wretched souls or criminals. They had a hard day. They worked all damn day, and they want to enjoy their life. Exactly. They want to relax a little bit and have yeah. some fun. Nobody wants to work 24-7. So the reason drugs exist, and I'm talking recreational, including alcohol, the, and cigarettes and ca caffeine, Coca-Cola, eating nice food, all this stuff, the reason we do it is because it gives us pleasure. And we were like, you know, I work today. I deserve some pleasure. That's most people's version of why they do it. Not I'm a terrible victim, feel, feel pity for me, nor I'm a terrible evil person. You should punish me. It's neither. And the fact of the matter is most drugs are legal that, that kill people. You know that. But so. I'll be honest. I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, the D.A.R.E. program at school or whatever, but, uh, you know, it's it's hard to do anything and not feel guilty about it sometimes, yeah. you know? Well, being a that puritanical streak that runs in America, you know, this guilt around everything. Mm. So, you know, like I think the reason I drink or, you know, I don't drink as much as I used to, but I think part of the reason I drank as much as I did is because it was a, something you weren't supposed to do. Uh, yes Bernadette grew up in Germany check this out she yeah. grows up in Germany she said there was a Jägermeister bottles little Jägermeister bottles in the candy sure at the store why not have one and the kids aren't raving alcoholics no like because that shit's you nasty if you're eight years old <laughs> well she would do a little shot of Jäger before she goes back to school after lunch <laughs> but I'm just saying that 
She doesn't drink like I do, though. She's very yeah. controlled, whereas yeah. I'm very binge or, you know, I'm a binge yeah. kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wish that weren't true. And I have to be very careful about that because now I have a 4 p.m. rule. You what? know, it used to be a 4 a.m. rule. Now it's what, gotta, 4 a.m. You got to go to bed. I'm like, I got to qu- quit drinking at 4 p.m. now. <laughs> oh, so you can get to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I got to get a good night's sleep. You start at midnight and then quit at 4 a.m. Now yeah. I'm like, oh, I got to finish up. It's, it's already 3.30. I got to finish this beer out. It's yeah. almost 4 o'clock. So no, as you get older, it definitely changes. But but I I just a lot of my belief is that America should be it should be about freedom, and it's for me. So flag means freedom. What does freedom mean? It means hearing things you don't want to hear. People should be able to say what they want to say. It's it's words. So the idea of this the the victimization of the world or whatever, I'm not into it because you should allow freedom. And and if a person is not attacking you, hurting you, stealing from you, they should be able to do what they want to, and that's. My, in terms of ethics, that's my basic, the golden rule kind of thing. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, or at least don't tell them how to live their life. You know, I am one hundred percent on board with you. There's nothing I hate more than somebody telling me what to fucking. Nobody care. think about a, you take a, a liberal, progressive, or a conservative person, and either one, if you say how they should raise their kid, they get very angry. Sure, doesn't forget what you said. No, a mother gets very angry. If another person tells her how to raise her child, that's the way it is in terms of me, in terms of your personal life. I feel like I don't want to be told how to live my life any more than the mom wants to be told how to raise her kid. You're insulting me yeah. by telling me that I don't know what's best for me. Yeah. Like if I'm screwing up my life, then that's, and look, that's and one parent, thing. I understand I don't have kids, but I I partied a lot more at 18 than I do now. But So the, this idea that what I did when I was 18, I don't want my child to do. Sure. That's kind of hypocritical. Because hmm. you, you, guess what happens when you hit the hormonal stages of life? Yeah, you're not going to stop that kid from wanting to have sex, mm. and you're not going to stop that kid from wanting to enjoy life. All you care about when you're young is experiences. You're not trying to live longer because you think you're going to live forever anyway. You want to experience <laughs> life. You know that's it. The experience yes. is everything. You don't like, and you're not like like now. I'm like, ooh, I look forward to crawling into bed and getting a good night's sleep. That's ooh, that's gonna be awesome. If you're 18 or 25, you're like, what? What did you just say? Because you're like, that is death. You know, th- talking about wanting to go to sleep is death. I'm them. just now starting to really appreciate that kind yeah. of st- and starting to sound like, what am I talking about? Well, I remember what? thinking the roller coaster is what's desirable in life. To hit the highs, you have to hit the lows. Mm. But then you get older. And I had these crazy roller coaster years. You sure. know, hit super lows and super highs for a long, long time, but then the roller coaster gets more and more even as you get older. Yeah. And so now I really do enjoy what, what they used to call peace. I guess it's peace where I, I do kind of just want to feel good in the morning and kind of roll through my day at an even sure. keel and relax quietly in the evening and it not be just like those lunatic experiences, which I've had quite a few, you know? I'm so sure. so I, I, now I do enjoy the things that I used to think were death, just terrible. So my point is though, when you're our age or my age, telling a person that's young, well, you shouldn't do that. When I did it, it's it feels hypocritical to me. Yeah. They have they, you know this. You can't be told how to live. Like you can't be given advice how to live. You have to experience it to to learn. So thinking that right. you're going to tell the child, oh, you know, don't don't fall in with the wrong crowd. Don't be with the wrong girl. Or you know, that, that's, you're not going to learn like that. You. You have to get with the wrong crowd. You have to get with the wrong girl. Everybody does it. Yeah, it's tough, man. Being a parent, I'm tr- I'm really trying to toe that line of like letting them make mistakes. Yeah, you know, well, you, but you trying to help there. them avoid the trap. You know what the, the most important thing about a parent is what? unconditional love. That's it. Okay. If you give unconditional love to I'll your child, that. then I think everything will be okay. I'll buy that. 
And and that also means that if they know it's unconditional, then they can confide in you. And that's what you really want as a parent. Yeah, you want them you to, want to trust be able to help you. them. Yeah, because if so, they're if they're if they think you're an idiot or if they don't feel like they can they, open up to you, if they think you, you're going to punish them if they tell you the truth, that's which when maybe they're you stuff. do want to, but then they start hiding, and that's why people lie. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> of course, like uh, that lying is the what you learn as a child. It's like if I tell dad I broke his, you know, whatever his, his, his baseball yeah. bat, and if I tell him he's going to be very angry, so I'm not going to tell him. Yeah, right. So so people learn there are cons. When there was a quote that's like, when you learn the consequences of telling the truth is when you learn to lie. You know, so <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the way it is as a child. Yeah. Scott, dude. Now, I, I don't know if that's the best line to end on, but I, I guess... well, no, I appreciate you being here so much. And I couldn't, uh, I mean, when I started making my list, when I started this podcast two years ago, you were right there at the top. Well, I cool. mean, I knew I had to talk to the mayor and I had to talk to Ashley Caps and I had to talk to you. And, and, uh, this is a dream come true well, for me, man. Here's a difference in, and me and most people, if you're um, the mayor, and even if you're Ashley Caps, they have to be much more careful with their language. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they, 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 whether they want to be or not, they are in the status quo. Yeah. They are. Yeah. You're the mayor. And so I don't can't... understand how you've done that. How you have, but because if I had Randy Burleson over here, I think he would be he would be pretty safe and and probably not say some yeah. anything too out. Of, but you guys are in the same world. Because like how I, come you're able to do the that? Difference is I've uh, everybody already. I mean, it's already out there. I already went to prison. I already, they already know I did these, the drugs and the and the and the, and the smuggling. They already know that. So How freeing is that? Very freeing. So see, the the silver lining of what happened is good. Great. It's turned out great. It took, you know, there's some rough times, but you know, now I remember when I gave my cousin my my book to read, my first few chapters of the book to read, and he said, and and he he says. Well, I mean, it's understandable. You're bitter, man. And I'm like, bitter? It's supposed to be funny. <laughs> and he said, well, no, no, you're bitter. It's cool, though. I mean, you, it's understandable that you're bitter, man. And I'm like, so I had to rewrite those books a hundred damn times because here's what you don't, you don't see yourself. So I was bitter. So I've it's taken years to, to kind of work through it. And part of it is get out and get accepted again and, and be successful. So then you, it let, it takes the, most of the chip off my shoulder, not all. I still have some things to prove, but once it's proven, then I hopefully that the monkey chip will be off my shoulder or whatever. But uh, that, that's the plan is I just, I want to do a few more things and then I just want to, you know, ride the Luna moth off into the sunset. <laughs> you feel good? You yeah. feel good about where you're at? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to do anything else. I mean, but, but I'm just going to. Now I'm not in a hurry. You're like, I'm, we opened Preservation Pub in six weeks. We opened Tommy Trent Sports Saloon in three months. Bernadette's took three years. Mm. So we've we've slowed down our designs on how quickly because it basically it's ulcerous. To be in a big hurry is is stressful. So now I'm just kind of backing off, get put good people in places to let them do things, and and not stress about how long it takes. You know, I, I concentrate on. You know, I'm booking bands and I'm scheduling 100, get 100 employees, you know, so I'm scheduling. So I'm involved in everything, but I'm involved in the things that I imagine are the most important things to generating the revenues, which allow for the vision. Without the revenues, there's no vision. So I have to succeed or I can't do the moon sphere. I have to succeed or I can't do the Luniverse. I have to succeed or I can't, you know, create the eco sphere you know the the preservation eco resort i can't do these things and eventually i won't own anything it'll all be given back to the world and uh 
but I can't do that yet because I can't achieve the vision without success. So I'll, I'll tell your listeners that every beer you drink or hamburger you eat at our places is not me trying to put money in a Swiss bank account. I'm going to use that money to create cool stuff in downtown Knoxville. I'm talking really cool stuff. Then I'm going to create cool stuff for animals to live in that we can visit. And I'm not going to plan on taking none of it with me. So that's the plan. I love you, Scott. Okay. <laughs> thanks so much for being here, man. Oh, thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. appreciate it so much. I'll see you soon. Thank All you right. guys both. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Have a great one. Okay. Something else, man. I cannot believe it. Scott and I had a great time hanging out. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Hit the subscribe button so you can get updates when new episodes of South of Scruffy come out. Really, I appreciate you guys so much. Thanks so much for being here. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. And we'll see you really soon. Pitch wire, play me out.